0: Then, children of the night, what music they make.
1: They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my
0: nightmare. What an excellent day for an
1: exorcism. Oh, no! I'll kill you all! Do you want to die tonight? You don't know what death is. Be
0: long Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. On your butt. Thanks for your life! Yeah. <laughs> to a new world of parts and monsters. Shh.
2: Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Pods and Monsters. I'm here with... Inthea. And inthia and I have a special guest. Uh, he is joining us for his second episode. You might remember him from the Godzilla episode, and his name is...
1: Aiden Casterly. Hello, Monster Kids. <laughs> hey! hey. hey. It, it's an honor to be back. Um, we had so much fun talking about one big monster that we're going to be talking about one of the biggest of them all. So. Yes.
2: That's exactly right. And who are we talking about, Inthia?
3: King Kong.
1: King
2: Kong. Wild, weird, wonderful, the stuff
0: for which movies were made. Adventure to make you wonder if it's true, while your eyes convince you that it is. Kong, oh, the wonder of the world!
2: So, King Kong, one of the most famous movies of all time, it is widely considered maybe the best monster movie of all time. Is it? Yeah. When there's lists that, like, AFI makes or something, Mm -hmm. the American Film Institute of the top 100 movies of all time, King Kong is usually in it.
1: I would back that,
2: yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, I I would say it's definitely one of the best movies ever made. It's not one that I watch over and over again very often, Mm -hmm. but I do love everything about it, though.
1: Yeah king kong is a movie i've watched many many times since i was a child i'm very hard pressed to think of another film i've seen more than king kong except for perhaps creature from the black lagoon but it's a movie that i know by heart and it's gonna be wonderful to talk about it
3: today
2: have you seen king kong
3: the i think once before
2: did you know the story pretty well
3: well yeah because we've watched the Peter Jackson one, Ugh. and we saw. <laughs> uh,
1: oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm, that's that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> I'll try not. To, I'll try not to groan at any mention of that.
3: Robert really likes the the Peter Jackson to one. To each their own. To yeah, each yeah. their own.
1: I
2: love the Peter Jackson one. It's the, la- it's the best movie of the last twenty years.
3: It's oh, a bold statement. My friend. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that is a hot take. <laughs> and what have then... you been
1: doing for twenty years?
3: <laughs> Only watching King Kong by Peter
2: Jackson. <laughs> what, what's not to like? It's wonderful, and the extended version
3: is even better.
1: Uh, oh, an extended version of any Peter Jackson movie. Well, if if you if you have two weeks to kill, then yes, by all means, watch an extended version of any Peter Jackson. Yeah, he's <laughs>
3: on his fifth. Fifth run straight through, right? (laughs) And then this past October, we took our first visit to New York City and saw the King Kong musical on Broadway. Yes, we did. Mm. So I had a pretty good understanding of what the basic skeletal premise of this movie would be.
1: All right, we the, want- s- the Skull Island premise of the movie. <laughs> there we go.
2: Which is funny because they never referred to it as Skull Island. There's in a the Skull movie.
1: Mountain in yes. the movie. Exactly. The island could have been called anything. It could have been called Joe, but it's never mentioned.
3: It could have been called Bala. 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 Friend. Friend Island. <laughs> What's the word for friend? Bala. 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 All right, let's get into this film.
2: All right, so (laughs) Inthia and I rewatched it today, as a matter of fact, and I'm sure you took comprehensive notes.
3: Yeah, I mean, I feel feel pretty good about my note taking, (laughs) and since we just watched it, I'm like, it's still it's the freshest in my memory.
2: All right, let's talk about King Kong.
3: So, our film opens with an overture.
1: The overture is interesting because a lot of VHS copies back in the day didn't include it. I'd never heard the overture until they restored it for the DVD version. So that's, Really? That's, yeah. Back when I was a kid, this was the overture was left out because it's a long movie. And I guess, you know, back in the videotape days, there's only so much room on this Oh, because there's only like yeah. 90 minutes. Yeah. And the overture is, I forget. it's, About it's five it's, minutes. Yeah, five minutes or so, which doesn't sound
3: like much. But, but yeah, when you're eating up tape... This is wonderful. I really like the overture. I like the beginning themes, um, which I think might be like the jungly themes for it.
2: Well, we might as well say the music is composed by Max Steiner, who is an incredible composer. uh, Did a bunch of other things including Casablanca and,
0: oh. uh,
1: the score for Kong really sets up a lot of the action and the fast-paced tone of the film and there's yes. a lot of moments where I heard one critic described it as almost like a Mickey Mouse score not that it sounds like Mickey Mouse but in that the music complements a lot of specific actions you see on screen the way that an animated cartoon would where uh, I they- would
3: 100% agree. That is the yeah. best description of that the when, music. Yeah.
1: yeah, there's a moment later in the film where a character accidentally knocks over a boulder and the music like complements it perfectly, even, to, <laughs> even down to Kong's reaction to turning yeah. over and looking at the boulder roll. Well, so.
3: I really appreciated how the music would definitely reflect the looks in his eyes or when he had a thought or mm-hmm. when his mood changed. Absolutely. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah,
2: yeah and it's one of the earliest movies to use such... A big score because lots of movies at that point weren't using music so much. So King Kong really pushed film scores forward. Absolutely. Uh, Max Steiner, besides Casablanca, he also did Gone with the Wind. Oh, no. which has another connection to King Kong. Later, we'll find out.
1: <laughs> it's a hot topic. It is a hot topic.
2: So after a five-minute overture...
3: All you see on the screen are the words overture, and then you get a sense of, like, this... Would it be, like, an art deco-y design? But it's really just, like, scaffolding... And overhead railways? I don't know what they're called, but yeah, it just seems like ve- it's the city. It's like weird abstracts of the city. That's what it looks like, kind of, yeah. And I really, yeah. really like that.
1: And that, that yeah. style, of course, is carried right over into the opening credits themselves.
3: Oh, which I which would are, say, yeah. these might be some of my favorite credits. They're
1: gorgeous. It, Yeah, very Art Deco. Mm-hmm. Futuristic and futuristic for the time period. Correct. But it was...
2: And I think the biggest thing that gave King Kong the influence to go with the Art Deco theme was the Empire State Building, mm-hmm. which is the big yeah. uh, you yeah. know, finale, yeah. uh, which was built in an Art Deco style. Empire State Building only opened like two or three years before King mm-hmm. Kong came out. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was new at the time and Art Deco was the big style of the time. So that's what they went with.
3: So this is a radio pictures movie.
2: Yeah. RKO. R-K-O.
3: And it opens with a wonderful little
2: radio tower on top of the earth.
3: Yes. And so we get the amazing title sequence. It's the credits, and then it shows us the list of the actors. Mm -hmm. And then the very last one, I believe is there's a wonderful title for King Kong, The Eighth Wonder of the World.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, King Kong gets a
3: credit himself. Yep. Which I thought was so great. Next we get an Arabian proverb.
1: And of course, this Arabian proverb is every bit as authentic as the gypsy poem in The Wolfman. Where <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's an, a, there's an authentic tome of it out there somewhere, but no, it was all made up. It does introduce the Beauty and the Beast theme, yeah. which is going to be very, very important in this movie. Yes. And it doesn't matter whether or not the this this short little BS proverb is real or not, or if it's well-written or not, it still carries a very important theme with it.
2: Yes, and it was written by Marion C. Cooper, one of the two directors of the movie. The proverb reads, And the prophet said, And lo, the beast looked upon the face of beauty, and it stayed its hand from killing, and from that day it was as one dead.
3: This is great and it really sets the tone and the expectation of this movie. I think it would have been interesting if this had been at the end also.
1: It yeah. bookends, it bookends, not to, not to yeah. give away the ending for anybody yeah. who's never seen this movie,
3: but... Yeah, there's, I mean, it is spoken, yeah. Well, so. instantly, yeah. for people that are rewatching
2: it, the proverb gives you a sense of dread because you know how sad the ending is gonna be. Yeah, yeah, for
3: sure. So we open on a harbor, and it's a harbor that's housing a ship called The Venture. So there are two gentlemen that are walking on this, like, pier.
2: Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, The Venture, do you remember which other movie has a Venture ship? One of your favorite movies?
3: One of my favorite movies with the ship. Oh, Lost World.
2: The Lost World, Jurassic Park. <laughs> nice. That's the ship they brought the T-Rex back on to San Diego.
3: <gasps> How appropriate. Mommy's very angry. <laughs> and it was
2: it was obviously a nod to King Kong. Mm-hmm. Spielberg has talked about King Kong being one of his influences. In fact, every genre filmmaker, fantasy, horror, sci-fi, so many of them cite King Kong as Oh, uh,
3: absolutely.
2: Their biggest inspiration.
3: So, there are two men who meet on this dock, and they are talking about Carl Denham Mm -hmm. and how he has this ship, the Venture, that has an obscenely large crew, and then he's going on this mysterious and somewhat crazy uh, adventure. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. want to say adventure, but like voyage. There we go. What's so (laughs)
1: crazy about this voyage?
3: And I love that, like, you get a sense that no one knows what's happening. Everyone is still somewhat like, well, it was definitely one foot in, one foot out.
2: Well, everyone is taking Carl Denham's word for it that this is going to be something exciting, but yeah. they have no idea where they're going. Yeah. And, you know, the crew has already been on two expeditions with them. Carl Denham is a filmmaker, and he uh, does jungle pictures, Jungle, jungle pictures, pictures, you know, yeah. filming live animals. And, yeah. and uh,
1: even though we don't know much about his pictures, there's, there's enough information given that he's a successful enough director yes. that people are willing to put a lot of faith in him. You know, he always delivers, even if he complains that the critics who see his movie com- say that there's no love interest
3: yeah so in this scene we also meet weston and that carries into the scene that you're talking about where we get to find out what's going on Denim is Denham. i'm never gonna say this man's name right just denim um is um speaking to the skipper of this ship And they're talking about any possible slowdowns. It turns out that there's a crap ton of ammunition, specifically gas bombs, on this ship. And that if any of the marshals showed up, this would slow them down. Also, he's really being hindered by the fact that he can't keep an actress to stay on this picture. No one is willing to commit. So he's over it and decides to take it into his own hands and go into the city and go do it himself. He's going to go find a lady. (laughs) We also meet Driscoll, Jack School, Mm -hmm. and he will be very important later on. So he can't keep an actress due to how secret, secretive this is.
1: The agent, too, came aboard the ship for basically says he's not going to get you a girl because he doesn't want to be held responsible for anything that could happen on a ship full of. Some of the roughest, toughest, most dangerous mugs I've ever looked at or something like that on a ship full of explosive ammunition going to God knows where. It's, yeah, it's an insurance nightmare. So nobody wants to touch him.
3: Yep. We do find out that he has a type that he is looking for. He wants a woman that can hold her own, basically. But also, and more importantly, she needs to be real, real pretty. So he goes into the city, and he goes to the Women's Home Mission in New York. Mm -hmm. He takes a look at all these ladies going into this.
1: Soup kitchen or something like that.
3: Um, Nope, not to his liking. (laughs) He does not like what he sees. They are ladies, and they are not beautiful. Soup tonight, (laughs) coffee and sinkers in the morning. So he leaves from there, and he goes to this market stand. And while he's there, there's a young lady who attempts to steal an apple. Now,
2: first of all, she never even lifts the apple off of the cart.
3: No, that man was just having none of it. She considers
1: it.
2: Well, afterwards, but he didn't know she was considering it.
3: He's
1: also a New Yorker.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha! I catch you, you stealer! Now I catch a cop. You like that, huh? No, no, I didn't. He really did. He just, like, really leans into this... Poor woman who looks like she's about to pass out at any moment Mm -hmm. Um, because she
2: hasn't eaten. Exactly. This is the depression and there's no food, no money.
3: So Denham steps in and offers to pay and pays way more than this apple is worth. A whole dollar.
1: A book. (laughs) <laughs> Scram! <laughs>
3: and he takes this lady, he looks at her, and she is apparently drop-dead beautiful in her state of almost just passing out. Yeah. And uh, she has this beautiful soft lighting on her. They really yeah. boost up that lens.
1: That's That was just a trick back in the day, but,
3: you know, it, it
1: works. That's the thing. Yeah. is They're also very careful not to reveal her full face until that specific moment, <laughs> too. Mm-hmm. So it, that yeah. way, you know, you get the full impact of just how attractive Faye Ray was.
3: Yeah. He takes her to go get a proper meal he just
2: Uh, grabs her and says hey taxi
1: basically
3: yeah hey taxi (laughs) (laughs) so he takes her to this meal and after she's eaten and everything he finds out we pretty much everything he needs to know um finds out her name and darrow that she did some acting and that she has no family so she um, has an uncle somewhere possibly she was even unsure about the uncle situation Mm -hmm. right So he offers to take her to go get some clothing and take her on this boat and help her out. She then realizes this is real weird and thinks that there's a catch. And he's like, nope, this is strictly business. Yeah. And makes this proposition. He's He's like, strictly
2: on
1: the
3: level. Yeah, no funny business. I'm on the level. No funny business.
0: What do I have to do? Just trust me and keep your chin up.
1: And you believe him there too. I mean, we were yeah. talking earlier about whether or not Denim should be seen as shifty or a villain, and I don't believe I don't believe he is. Again, I so again, he's... I think he's just extremely committed. Yes. Now, you know, he's pushy. Yes, he didn't he didn't ask for Anne's permission to just grab her, or throw in a cab, and take her off there. But he he does it with good intentions. You could make you know arguments just saying you know is he polite? No. Is he being considerate to other people? Kind of, sort of. Is he sincere about wanting her in on this? Yes, 100%. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah. But I do like that aspect of Denim that you can take his character either way. You can take him as a good guy or you could take him as the big troublemaker who brought all hell upon us later.
3: Agreed. He's a well-developed character.
1: Yeah.
2: Played by Robert Armstrong, by Mm -hmm. the way.
3: Yeah, and I just, I really appreciate his delivery of his lines. I appreciate how transparent he is about everything. Even when he's hiding the location of the island, Mm -hmm. he's still very transparent about when he will give it to them. And once he does, he's like, here you go. And he just lays it all down. He's
1: a man with a plan. Yep.
3: So they're due to leave at 6 a.m. the next day. We cut to the next day, and there's hustle and bustle on the ship, and Mm -hmm. they are definitely leaving the harbor. Here we see our first mate, Driscoll, again, and he is ordering everyone, Mm -hmm. and our lovely Anne comes out onto deck, and he accidentally clocks her right in the face. So I guess this is their, like, meet-cute situation. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um,
1: What's interesting about Driscoll, and a lot of people don't see this, is that Driscoll is very much an old style kind of character very outdated by today's terms in fact that's why in the peter jackson version he was completely rewritten and to to be more sensitive and whatnot Driscoll's character, it is a little hard to get to like him because he is very manly, very stern. But at the same time, he's also very repressed, as we'll see later on. It takes a lot to get him to admit any sort of emotions, especially, you know, vulnerable kind of emotions. Yeah. But that's also what just a lot of guys were like back in those yeah. days. It's also, its again, yeah. it's a character type you don't see much anymore because we've gotten more progressive, quote-unquote, with the times, but...
2: But in terms of other love interest characters that we've been seeing in movies around this time, horror movies specifically, he has a lot more development and more to do than lots of the other guys. Mm -hmm. He
3: does. And I appreciate it. I like it a lot.
2: Yeah.
3: Like he actually cares for her and there's nothing wrong with showing that you are protective of someone.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this scene where they're talking about how it's not good to have a woman on board.
0: I think this is awfully exciting. I've never been on a ship before.
2: Well, I've never been on one with a woman before.
0: I guess you don't think much of women on ships, do you?
3: No, they're a nuisance.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. This scene was a nice little Easter egg in the Peter Jackson King Kong, because in that movie, Carl Denham is filming a scene with Ann Darrow and Bruce Baxter, the actor they brought on the ship, too, because they brought an actor in that one. And the dialogue is this dialogue from the original King Kong. I
0: think- I've never
1: been on a ship before. I've never been on one with a woman before. I
0: guess you
3: don't think much of women on ships, do you? No, they're
1: a nuisance.
3: Oh. So, yeah, he ends up telling her that he's never been on a ship with a woman. And that uh, women get in the way and tells her to stay out of the way.
1: Again, dialogue you can't do anymore. No. And... Yeah, for, for good reason, too. Times have changed. In fact, there's there's other kinds of dialogue we'll be hearing later on that from modern eyes feels very outdated and even offensive. Yes. But it was also just, a, you know, it was a sign of the times. And that's just what a lot of guys were like back then, especially in, you know, a sa- I wouldn't imagine sailors were very polite or very super sweet and friendly to each other there.
3: Mm-hmm. So the next scene that we have, we... See, Anne is talking to Charlie, Charlie. I believe, who mm-hmm. is peeling potatoes.
2: Charlie the cook.
3: He's a friend for Anne. Yeah. Someone um, to talk to, absolutely. Yeah. And I appreciate that mm-hmm. about him.
1: Minor bit of foreshadowing or mm-hmm. a minor bit of joke with uh, Charlie's friend, Pepper. the
3: monkey. Oh, yes, it is. Remember what his name is? No. Iggy. Oh, <gasps> Oh, she said it later on. And Mm -hmm. she's like, I'm the only person that Iggy likes. And I was like, who's Iggy? (laughs) (laughs) She said this like two minutes after we meet him, too. So, Uh, yeah. So Jack shows up and they end up having a little bit of a talk. And he talks about how he wouldn't have brought her on this ship. And at that point, she's still thinking that he's talking about at the beginning when he was like, women get in the way. But this next time that he says it. It's because he doesn't know where they're going. He doesn't know what's happening. And he thinks it's too dangerous yeah. for really anyone to be involved, let alone a mm-hmm. woman who, yeah. I mean, might be somewhat defenseless.
1: Yeah. And again, Jack is a very tough nut to crack. hes It's extremely difficult for someone of his type to say, I love you or... Please be careful. I won't, don't want anything bad to happen to you because he's used to being around other sailors. And, of course, they all have very tough skins and they wouldn't admit that sort of thing.
3: So. Mm-hmm. And he throws in a little sly line that women can't help but be a bother.
1: Uh, you're all right, but, but but women
3: women just can't help being a
1: bother. But notice how insecure he says that line. Women yes. women can't help being a bother. He just kind of fumbles with it. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it actually... It, does show another kind of layer to him mm-hmm. if it was intentional
3: i so. do like that every time we see them talk he's less of an asshole than he is <laughs> in the very first scene where he clocks her in the face well
1: it's kind of hard yeah that's kind of a rough way to start with the character yeah. with them
3: but i appreciate that because you get a sense of their time together and how comfortable he's becoming with her. yeah denham notices that Anne and jack are flirty and comments to jack that he shouldn't be distracted by this woman shouldn't fall in love that he's it, this, this isn't like this a... is also
1: where denim first mentioned specifically the beauty and the beast theme mm-hmm. and it's done in sort of a joke in fact i i love his line later on where he says i'm going right into a theme song here it's it still gets a <laughs> laugh out of me because he's just kind of laugh. it's almost like a fourth wall breaking joke when they're because they're going to be mentioning beauty and the beast so many times over mm-hmm. this movie
3: mm-hmm.
0: no you're a pretty tough guy but if beauty gets you a Go on right
3: into a theme song here. It's a great conversation that they have, and they really do hammer in that Beauty and the Beast thing. Uh-huh. Finally, they get to a certain location. There was a, a specific latitude and longitude position that if once they got there, Denham was going to provide the skipper and Jack with the final coordinates where to go from here. So. They go into um, this navigation room. I don't know. I'm not a shipper, so I don't know (laughs) what anything is. (laughs) And he lays down this map that was given to him, and he has a drawing of the island and the coordinates of it. The skipper's like, I know this area, and this does not exist here. Mm -hmm. And he's like, it does. And he says, you just got to keep sailing this way, and we'll get to there. And there's a little drawing of the island, and the island has a little peninsula, and that's where they need to land. And that peninsula is cut off by a giant wall that's been there for a very, 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 very long time. Um, (laughs) A wall? People are unsure of what is on the other side of the wall, and he does make a mention that whatever is beyond that wall is something that no, um, I believe he says white man, has seen. Right. He also points out that there is, like, this reef that separates the ocean from from the island.
1: They theorize about what could be on the other side. Yes. Se- why is there a wall and what is the wall for? Captain Inglehorn theorizes that it's a hostile tribe that obvi- that you know, it's maybe just people going to war against each other. There's a really nice moment here when we get the first mention of Kong.
2: Did you ever hear of Kong?
1: It carries a lot of weight to it, just the silence that follows.
2: And it's such a good build-up.
1: It is. To Mm -hmm. what you might be seeing later. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very good introduction and a very good way to build up the menace before we ever actually see it.
3: And he also points out that this is the reason that he brought these gas gas bombs. bombs.
1: And there's a sly smirk to his face when he says that line, almost like he's looking for trouble. Mm
3: -hmm. So, yeah, Dunham and Anne are going to run some screen tests on the ship. Just to see what she looks like in the light.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. The scene is important because, again, there's a lot of important foreshadowing that goes there. The it's f- so good. The first tip-off is an anecdote about Carl Denham saying, you know, why she asks, why does he run the camera himself? And he says, I used to have a cameraman who did it. He would have gotten a swell shot of a charging rhino, but he didn't trust me to get the rhino before the rhino got him. Mm-hmm. This is important because it shows just how committed Denham is, and it also shows how he is unintentionally not looking out for the safety of other people. People. Yeah. Now this is sort of shrugged off where Driscoll says, you think he's crazy skipper? And the Inglehorn sh- just kind of shrugs it off and says, no, nah, I'm just enthusiastic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> the big foreshadow in the scene, though, is when he gives Anne instructions to start gazing upward. Again, it, this it could almost be kind of a throwback to him not telling the crew where they're going. Yep. His directions to her are to just start looking upward, but I'm not going to tell you what you're going to see just yet. She follows his instructions and he tells her, you've seen something terrible above you. And when you're building up to it this this moment just builds and builds and builds till he gets to the line where he tells her
0: scream and scream for your life
1: <laughs> and she belts out that the scream that made fey ray famous and it is it's really chilling it's followed by that beat of silence where driscoll driscoll genuinely looks concerned when he Mm -hmm. grabs inglehorn's arm and he says
0: what's he think she's really gonna
3: see this is like a huge red flag for jack
1: and like anthea you were saying it's just how much concern that driscoll has that he doesn't want to admit he's genuinely scared right now he suddenly realizes just how either how much he loves her or how much he's afraid that she could get hurt by someone who is willing to possibly let a cameraman get killed by a rhino. Yeah.
2: Yeah this is a great scene. It's a classic scene that's it's always in highlight reels that I see and uh, again uh, for Peter Jackson's King Kong they reenact this not in the movie but in the trailer it was a deleted scene Mm. and then you know King Kong roars after she screams for her life. Scream is that great shot of the three sailors that are holding on to each other that look over. (laughs) Apparently they were added as a cutaway because while the screen test was going on, Robert Armstrong, who plays Carl Denham, was supposed to change camera lenses. And because he wasn't a a real camera guy, he had trouble always doing the lens. Mm -hmm. So the directors decided, oh, we'll just cut away and then go back to them later. Oh,
3: nice. So her scream, this movie.
2: The perfect scream. Mm -hmm. The first scream queen.
3: This movie in general has a lot of real horrific pained good screams oh, it yeah. does like oh, my goodness. from just about everyone
1: some of the sailor screams were so good in fact they would be sampled for other movies in fact you can hear them in all sorts of other films too and you're like wait a minute that's from King Kong
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. really <laughs> now I'm gonna have to really pay attention when we watch movies because yeah, they're really good screams yeah
1: they didn't become as famous as like Wilhelm screams but they still get recycled quite a bit in movies of this era
3: nice yeah. so the ship is sailing through some rather thick fog right now as they're looking for this island
2: and I love the music here so much Yeah, this
1: we've, yes. we've been without music for a while for some reason some parts that, that is definitely to the advantage like the last scene especially wouldn't have had quite the showing effect if there had been music. Mm -hmm. But now we we do get the theme of going through the fog and it's very again, there's also a lot of dread building up here too, but just in a different kind of way.
3: Yeah, they're trying to see through it and Anne makes a comment regarding what they're looking for.
2: If only Charlie made his soup as thick as that fog. (laughs) So
3: he's just got potatoes to work with, but those are pretty starchy, so there's, I guess. So uh, denim, denim, denim. Denim ends up pointing Denim, out Denim, 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 Denim. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Denim um, points out that they are looking for a skull mountain That that is what they will see uh-huh. But what they end up hearing are drums It's very, very ominous Yeah so they finally spot the beach and they can't see anyone on the beach denim really assumes that there'd be just people there pretty much casually waiting for them or just on the fade into the
1: scene is really good too because the reveal of skull mountain itself is really cool i mean there's there's a reason why people for so long mistaken the name of the island for skull island it's because it's such a good visual that it's just it you know it's easy to see why it would dominate a lot of people's uh, thoughts yeah.
2: of the place yeah and uh, everything that appeared on his funny little map was there on the island mm. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there it is skull mountain the wall everything just like
0: on my funny little map
3: everyone gears up to go on to the island and Anne wants to go jack thinks that she shouldn't go until they check it out first but deniman's like she's coming with us and overrides everything Mm
1: -hmm. he's just really really eager to the point where he's not even gonna send out a scouting troop first or check and see if it's safe it's and he
3: brings her wardrobe and everything just in case there's something to shoot yeah the camera of course so they arrive at the village and no one is around they talk about the giant wall which we just kind of see out there Yep. with a big
2: um, gong at the top of it
3: yes then we hear the little kind of far away kong chanting which becomes a little bit more clear so they get closer and they see a ceremony at the base of the giant gate
1: again the music build up here is great it's just at first you're not really sure what's going on if this is part of the soundtrack but of course as we're gonna see this is actually happening they peer through the bushes and that big reveal when max Steiner's score just like hits you with the whole ceremony going on, it really, yeah. you feel it.
3: The ceremony has dancers that are dressed as gorillas.
1: Uh, the gorilla dance, uh, that was like the funniest thing when I was a kid. I, I mean, they they, <laughs> they totally steal your attention away. There's, yeah, guys yeah. In, there's guys in gorilla suits kind of shuffling around in a mm-hmm. circle, and whether or not you think that's funny or cool or whatever, it's still... It's a good visual.
3: It's- no, that is. There is a very beautiful woman who is being adorned with flowers in her hair. Yeah. She is yeah. darker. She is, and everyone on this island is not white. So there is this beautiful woman who's being adorned. Exactly. Um, And they say that she is going to be Kong's bride. The reason I bring this up I really do feel like there's important themes and elements to this movie that seeing it at a much later time in your life, you become a little bit more aware of, because uh-huh. I'm not trying to bring that into the conversation, but it might filter in, because it's my impression of it. That's fine. Mm-hmm. In no way, though, made me not, I really enjoyed this movie. Yeah. But I think it's just important stuff. I just, I was a little bothered. I'm a little bothered.
2: Yeah.
0: So you were- By bo- the
3: fact that there's this very beautiful woman- Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like it's said in the movie. Like, we understand, fine. Here's like a. I mean, they called her like the golden haired one. Yeah. Whatever. One of Mapokano. But it's the idea at the time that.
1: So, this is a very tricky topic. And I'm sure, as you guys remember, our Godzilla podcast where. It's easy to factor in history and world relations because they do have an effect on the movie, but we also have to be careful that the further we stray off into that direction, the more we forget about the film itself. For sure. Now, these these are definitely important things to talk about. These are good things to know, especially through modern eyes looking back then. Could these things be taken as offensive? Yes, de- depending on pe- who you're talking to. Was this movie made with offensive intentions? And I don't believe so. There are some films from this era where you can't separate it from the tones they're presenting. You can't talk about Birth of a Nation without talking right. about the severely racist tones of that film. Yeah. With Kong, it's a little different. It's hard to say because, again, product of its times, that doesn't ne- That doesn't excuse anything. Mm-hmm. But also a lot of this is based on just the experiences of Marion C. Cooper and just for encountering indigenous cultures that you weren't familiar with. Some of, some of them yeah. were hostile. Some of them weren't.
2: Yeah, And I think they do yeah. a good job of playing up the point that it's just that Anne is different.
1: This oh. is also a good time I want to talk about. The Chieftain is played by Noble Johnson. And Remember what he's from?
3: Um, he was from The Mummy. That's right.
1: Noble <laughs> Johnson is, first of all, uh, addressing rich tones, this is an interesting note about Noble Johnson. I believe Noble Johnson was the first black actor in Hollywood to do whiteface face noble johnson appeared in whiteface in murders of the rue morgue and the most dangerous game really and yeah and you would never tell just because either the makeup was good or his performance was that good
2: well Inthea thought he was white in the mummy i did in blackface i did
1: yep. but noble johnson does a really good job in this movie and i'm sure there are people who would be offended by you know the fact that there's a big scary black man here threatening the white people or whatever but the fact is he's he's played with a lot of dignity It would have been so easy to have had the savages just, like, swoop right in upon them and hoot and holler or whatever. But they actually, to their their credit, their first reaction when they see the intruders is, first of all, they're like, who are they? They just kind of stop in their tracks. Mm Mm-hmm. When the chieftain slowly comes walking down, there's nice music that goes with it. And there's also a nice little touch there where the crowd parts in front of him, but a child is left standing there, and the child's mom runs and pulls him out of the way just as, as the chieftain is approaching. Which I
2: is mimicked later.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but if it was, it's a really good way of just showing the, the power that this chief has and mm-hmm. just how much the people fear and respect him.
3: I will say, I do appreciate that they were not used as comic relief. Mm -hmm. They weren't, at least not intentionally. They don't really show
2: much of a threat besides taking in. Like, they don't attack them. They don't kill anyone. They're
1: imposing, but at the same time, they they also do have... You know, they, I, it's implied that they would have some sort of social structure to them, too. That's the yeah. thing is yeah, I mean, but they, then- the, the fact that our heroes walk away from literally just calmly walk away from the what could have been a dangerous encounter. And they just let them go is interesting, too. Yeah.
3: So, so uh, there's this woman who's being adorned. They refer to her as Kong's bride. And Dunham decides to record this. He decides yeah. he needs to get it. And as he's soon as just, he does,
1: he's so anxious to capture this on oh, yeah. film. And you can't blame him. It's a hell of a sight, too. Yeah.
3: He immediately stops, and everyone is just staring at and him. And he,
1: he shouts, Costco!
3: Costco! Costco!
1: Meaning he, I guess he really wanted to go get a dollar hot dog and soda. <laughs> With his Bala. With his ba- <laughs> Bala. Bala! Bala! There is a line where he, he says something that, to me, all for all the world, sounds like he's saying cow pizza for Kong.
3: Cow pizza for Kong! <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> So he encourages the entire crew to reveal themselves from behind this giant bush area. Mm. The skipper, um, as you guys have pointed out, knows rudimentary language of the area, kind of, and uh, is able to communicate. That's Captain Englehorn. So they're able to communicate well enough, and he asks about the ceremony.
1: The chieftain's first reaction is just telling them, get out.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The witch doctor shows up and pretty much tells him that the ceremony is spoiled because um, these people have seen it.
1: I never quite understood that, if they're saying that Kong would be offended by that, or, okay, we gotta go back to step one. Okay, people, one, two, three, four! <laughs> Ramakana, 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 Kong! Kong! <laughs> or, I never quite understood how the ceremony was spoiled, but then again, he's also this is also a culture we're not familiar with, and yeah. po- probably a religion we're not familiar with either that has its own customs. That
2: well, I wondered also later when they do capture Anne and they run up and try to save her, is that witch doctor standing there going, "Oh, they saw it! We were so
3: close!" <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure he's just like throwing up like, his hands. He's like, "Damn it!" Guys. Oh,
1: this is gonna show up in my performance reviews. <laughs>
3: Just one time, so the chief from here makes a, an immediate demand for Anne, who he well, refers to not
1: the, not a demand. He, he bargains will, for her. He wants
3: to trade for her. He wants Exa- to trade yeah. six of their women for her.
1: Again, they could have just taken them by force. They were outnumbered. They don't know what a gun is, so they wouldn't know the effects of that. But he, the fact is, yeah, he immediately starts doing business, and that's kind of interesting too, because I mean, who would this tribe have ever done business with? Uh, yeah. Now, how would do? How did they barter? Did they get mm. a lot of visitors?
2: I mean, they have boats. They must go somewhere. Oh, they, yeah, they, they, must have, have
1: they must have come from somewhere. And it's an interesting mystery about where they came from. But that's a story for another time that never gets told. But that's fine. It doesn't need to be.
3: Jack, at this point, wants to take her back. And the whole crew's like, we're going back. Denim, though, at this point, doesn't insist that they will be back the next day. and uh, to, this,
1: try, to try again.
3: Yes, yeah. to try again.
2: And don't forget, he asks Engelhorn, what's the word for friend?
3: Oh. Bala! That like that?
1: yeah and he makes it hold the man
3: Voila. Voila. i do like this about uh denim because everyone's like okay we're leaving now but he's like
1: he's persistent he wants yeah. he just no matter how much logic is hitting him in the face he's certain that he can spin this around and make it work for him because he's yeah. probably a guy who's made his whole career yeah by you know challenging the impossible and facing down charging rhinos when they should have trampled them.
3: And he's trying to defuse the situation for sure with putting his hands in his pockets and whistling casually as they're walking away. I
2: love what he does that. He tilts his hat forward.
1: (laughs) It still ends on an ominous note too where you get the feeling that they're not fooling anyone with their their casual walking away and that this, this is only going to be the beginning of trouble.
3: So that evening, Anne can't sleep and apparently really no one can and uh, Jack is concerned about what Denim will ask of her the next day. And here we get a very lovely reveal that actually made me laugh because, again, there's no real concept of time, but in thinking about it now that we're done with, you can see how it starts to kind of unravel. So uh, Jack reveals that he is in love with her.
1: Say, hey. I guess I love you. His big reveal, a lot of people laugh at now just by how awkwardly it phrased. He just says, well... Oh. I guess I love you. But you keep in mind everything we've been talking about, Jack, is that this is a guy who has a very hard time admitting a soft spot to him. So, of course, when he finally reveals himself... I'm I'm actually surprised he didn't stutter more or just throw up on the spot or something like that. Well, there's or, a little bit of the build up
2: there though when he talks about how he's scared for her, her. Yes. and
1: sort of scared, yeah, of, I do you. Really scared of you. Really like Which that? Which is that's true. Yeah, that's it's true. so good
2: <laughs> for someone that is so rugged and not willing to show his feelings.
3: That's a big step for him oh, yeah, to for God, sure. say that
1: he's scared of. Exactly. Yeah, saying he's scared of someone he loves. That's that's a massive reveal. I
3: actually really like this entire scene, and I think it brings in a little bit of levity to everything, um, because yeah, it, she says that she loves him and they kiss. Well, b-
1: before that, there's an impish quality to Anne there that I like where she throws his words back in his face that he said earlier mm, about mm-hmm. saying, well, then you wouldn't be bothered by me. <laughs> if, yeah. if I was gone, you wouldn't be bothered by not having me around. And this, Yeah, that's kind of a bratty thing, too, whether or not she really meant it, but it still it shows you an aspect of Anne that I like is that she's, yeah, she's got a spark in her.
3: I love, it. and then they kiss. The skipper calls for them, and this might be my favorite.
1: Mr. Driscoll, are you on deck?
0: Yes,
3: sir. It's done so well. <laughs> I loved it so much. So the skipper interrupts their, as I said, their kissy kissy time, yeah. and calls Jack inside. So Jack leaves,
1: and then we cut immediately to. <gasps> the islanders showing up and it's the music again there is perfect because this this is a shot that's done almost entirely in shadows Mm -hmm. it is pitch black and they just
2: from above of the canoe yes and the
1: the canoe slowly coming into shot and the music kind of tells you a little bit in advance that something is coming Mm -hmm. and it's it's really it's a really eerie moment but it's it's very well done
3: it's done very well
2: in audibly said
3: uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh! So they sneaky, sneaky uh, kidnap Anne, and they take off.
2: But yeah. not before she struggles with one of them, and knocks uh, off this big candy yeah, bracelet.
3: Brace yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes! Puka shells.
2: For some reason, I always imagine they're little tiny skulls.
1: Itty- oh, there you, go, there you go! Like extreme shrunken heads. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So they're iggy skulls
3: while the the gentleman oh while the gentleman what happens that, to iggy what happens to iggy he
1: didn't go char- he what would have been great if he had gone charging on the island with them with his own teeny tiny little gun going oh,
3: <laughs> that would have well, been great well
2: he's uh, friends with charlie and charlie wasn't allowed to go oh
1: yeah there you go
3: that kind of upset me. I do appreciate Charlie because he's tra- like, I'm going to fight. I, don't, I yeah. love that Charlie shows Charlie's, up with a cleaver.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like,
1: I'm going to go get he, him he's, back. He's ready to fight, too. and this Charlie really takes a lot of the show, and again, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, that's really why it was wonderful when he comes back, and not in this film, but in the film that follows.
3: So, as the men are talking in this cabin, Denim looks out of the window and notices that all the torches are on at the island and expresses that he wants to go over to there and would love to just be filming all of this so jack goes to look for anne on the ship and charlie finds this necklace and alerts the entire crew by screaming all hands all man on
0: deck all men on
3: deck everybody on deck all men on deck <laughs> and everyone comes running and everyone is searching for anne on the ship yeah they don't find her so uh, the crew loads up they take guns and bombs and they go over to the island back on the island there's a ceremony underway. Anne is now taking the place of the bride. They
2: go ahead and they open up these gates. Which, by the way, when they're building the gates, why did they build a door so big if they don't want Kong to ever go through?
1: Maybe it was built by another monster. Maybe. Who wanted Kong to stay on his side. And, he sta- it- and then he stayed on his other side and then his side of the island sank. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but, you, you, you figure
1: they'd
2: build like a human-sized door so they could just go yeah, through? But
1: again, that's the mystery of it.
3: Jurassic Park. Yeah, what gotcha. do they got in there? King Kong.
1: What do they got in there? King Kong.
3: And it's just those two <laughs> giant doors. There's yeah. no reason. There's no like fence that's on either right. side of those doors. So they open up the gate and they tie her up to this little like podium kind of like thing. Yeah. And then they hit this gong, which summons this, King Kong.
1: This is something I've always wondered. The chief is standing right in front of this gong they hit the gong and i can only imagine man i he must have had some serious earplugs underneath (laughs) his hair because i'm standing in front of that gong when it's going off man i would have you would think he would shake so hard he'd fall right off the wall
3: (laughs) so uh you hear king kong this approaching is, this
1: is the big reveal and this scene it still holds a lot of punch but imagine what it would have been like for audiences back yeah. in 33 yeah to have seen this moment just build and build and build until you see this figure
3: and she's just screaming and starts oh, not,
1: not even screaming. not even before she's screaming too there's just a moment where she doesn't know what to make of it because we get the first reveal of both the stop-motion animated kong and also the big puppet head the head doesn't match the model 100 percent, but it's still a very memorable visual because you get the scale of this thing this Mm -hmm. thing must have been gigantic and it feels gigantic on film too
2: i wish it was able to display more emotion
1: yeah it
2: always had that grin
3: yeah
1: yeah how big was it the kong head yeah. I think life size. You, you see people in there later yeah. on shoved inside Kong's mouth, so this thing was probably yeah. pretty damn big.
2: There were three people inside of it to run the mechanisms.
3: Oh wow! Okay, so we get this amazing close up, and I put down so good, and it's just such a great <laughs> intro <laughs> to him. I will say that because he has his eyes are so bright and open, and his face looks like he has this grin it seems like he's immediately pleased by looking at yeah. her. I mean,
1: that, that first that first shot I was mentioning of the big head that slowly tracks in, that's really good. I think the second time we see it, the head just kind of sways back and forth to the side, and there's something yeah. unintentionally comic about that. What I, I doubt that was intentional, but it, again, he's got the big smile on his face. You can almost picture him thinking, hey, all right.
3: Ellie, you're <laughs> different. What's up with this?
1: Gentle monkeys prefer blondes.
3: <laughs> Kong, when he takes and he does it in an almost playful fashion where he like it's it's his little toy he like does undoes one little side yeah
1: there's a nice touch where kong is about to start roaring but he stops when he turns and looks at her now willis o'brien was a very good actor through his models and there's just a lot of nice touches he gives kong and something as small as that which almost seems like a mistake where kong is is starting to go through the motions of roaring and instead he just Stops in his tracks, he's like, oh, okay, this is, you know, this is better than me making a fuss. And he very gingerly turns the the wheels to let her loose.
3: Mm-hmm. It's so great. And so he picks her up, goes back to the jungle. And yes, Jack and the crew show up just, like, a couple seconds too late. and Not they-
2: before Jack gets a good glimpse of Kong, though. Yeah.
3: Yes. They... Open the gate and they go inside the jungle after Kong. They follow a trail here and I really like this. It's giant footprints for Kong. Yeah. So from here, I really like how this is done. We get finally like some some more interaction between this wonderful stop motion animation yeah. and real life the, actors the Skull
1: Island journey was my very favorite part about this movie so growing good. up and it's it just completely captures the imagination there is no dead time there is mm-hmm. nothing wasted even just, like, that opening part where nothing is necessarily happening. They're tracking through the jungle, but they they make the most of that time to yep. show that, you know, showing that footprint, showing that, you know, they're trying to keep a, a brave attitude, but still they're way in over their heads.
3: And the first animal that they encounter is a stegosaurus.
1: A mm-hmm.
2: uh, stegosaurus.
1: And this is really well done. because The stegosaurus enters the frame from a very, very far away yep. distance, and that's a nice touch, too, especially, again, going to back to the music, which introduces it very well I love this part a lot just because the stegosaurus is so far off in the distance that you're not quite sure what's going to happen, what it's going to do, if it's going to get any closer. And of course, it gives a sense of how big this thing is. Mm-hmm. The stegosaurus is a lot larger than a natural stegosaurus would have been. This thing is almost, is almost kaiju proportions. <laughs> <laughs> but the the build up to it too is just very well done. There's a lot of tension as the thing unintentionally comes closer and closer to our crew and they're not quite sure. You know, they get their guns ready, they get their gas bombs ready, but they're this is obviously something bigger than they've ever handled before. The Stegosaurus is triggered to their presence. Does not like the intruders and goes right after them. Yep. <laughs> and this is a very common mistake people make about animals: is is assuming that just because an animal is herbivorous, that it's peaceful and safe to be around. And that is a great big no no.
3: No, I mean this animal has is no. has armor and spikes on the back of it. And like,
1: big. Yes. Big, big, big. Yeah. Do not go elephants. Rhinoceros and hippopotami are extremely dangerous.
2: With the uh, stegosaurus scene, it is so great that it does start so far away because it really sells the idea of depth. Yes. In these oh, scenes. yeah. These, and, you know, these sets, these uh, scenes built on these tables to do yeah. this stop motion, they were built-in levels it was yeah the way that that they did the king kong effects it was very close to how walt disney did the multi-plane camera effect really with plates of glass yes and projections the, the and, and
1: painting the trees painted on the glass is a beautiful effect and it works perfectly because you wouldn't even realize you're looking at a two-dimensional forest up there
2: exactly and the fact that they're always sort of foggy yeah like the further you go just like the way real fog atmospheric works. atmospheric
1: perspective it yeah, is absolutely. it's
2: incredible it's maybe the best backgrounds of that era at it, least
1: it works so well and you realize that entire scene is almost more or less done in one shot
2: and then it, it's great how the technologies that they used all blend together more so the later you go
1: on
3: mm-hmm. they got
2: more confident in what they were doing
3: yeah mm-hmm. so yeah they um, shoot at it throw a bomb at it there's, and yeah they there's a nice fake out with it.
1: there's a nice fake out with the stegosaurus where you think it's Defeated, and then they, they push their luck and they shoot it again, and it gets right back up. Yeah, it, yeah back up. it's a nice fake out.
3: Yeah.
2: And then another fake out Kicks when up. the head pops up, and then they shoot him in the head. That oh. And that, then you see his that, little arm. That
1: always I hated that. when I was a kid shooting it. The shooting the Stegosaurus right in the eye got to me. Not only because it's gory, but it's also again the music. There's a nice touch where the music shows sympathy. Yeah. 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 When that wasn't intended because obviously the guy, these guys do not care. They're actually happy that this thing is dead instead yeah. of you know trampling all over them. But there's that nice little note of oh yeah, after it takes the shot in the that was eye. Just yeah,
3: you really. Eye. I
2: really yeah. feel bad for him.
1: And his little
3: leg goes shaking in the air, mm-hmm. and I did not like and that then, at all.
2: And then the wagging tail. The death is, rattle is yeah, a nice touch. That's probably my favorite animation in the whole movie. Yeah, I
3: love And <laughs> the
1: music with that, vroom, yeah. vroom, the little twitching at the end of it, too. Ugh. <sighs> This is a nice tracking shot, too, as they walk by, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's not, it's not a really fascinating conversation, too, but it gives you this the idea of just how big this thing was. Yes. I think an actual stegosaurus was something like 20 feet long. And this
2: is a fake tracking shot where they, they had a camera film the model as it was going and seeing the stop motion, and then they had that projecting in the background, and then our actors are on a treadmill mm-hmm. pretending to walk.
1: Mhm and there's even some stuff in the foreground that they kind of push by them too just right. to give that just give that impression of space and I it's great it. yeah I it's a it so really much. well done moment so our poor buddy the stegosaurus goes down but oh, he's he he will be avenged he will be avenged by a, a neighbor
3: yeah <laughs> So they keep walking and they hear grunts, but they can't see through the oh. fog. And from here, they, they stumble upon a swamp and very, very quickly make a raft—a very impressive giant raft for yeah. these there was what, a, like the, ten dudes. There was a dissolve. There's though. a dissolve. Yeah. I know, I know. <laughs> How, however much time they
1: spent, who knows? Maybe there's an outtakes where they actually took like days. I mean, to they, make this I, <laughs>
2: I thing. mean, they did say that Kong is probably miles away now because yeah. it's so long. Yeah, that is, is that
1: is a nice touch. I mean.
3: So they end up sailing this foggy river here and some sort of like sauropod uh, is it what like was it this is,
1: you can call it a brontosaurus,
3: brontosaurus. okay yeah.
1: this part of the film is so good because we've we saw them take down the stegosaurus so you more or less have enough confidence with these guys that they're going to be fine and the brontosaurus royally kicks every square inch of their asses <laughs> this thing does not like intruders it does not like things that it's not familiar with and it resolves its problems not with you know not in a friendly way by smashy, smashy, you go dead now.
2: Except this brontosaurus does have carnivorous teeth.
1: Well, well, here's the thing. Is a lot of people say, why did the brontosaurus eat people? It does not. Well, He doesn't it eat does, he doesn't bites bites people. Them. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't Hi- eat him, anyone. But, hippos will bite.
2: But he doesn't have the flat teeth, though.
1: It, it, he has the peg-like teeth, and that's... A brontosaurus's teeth were designed to strip leaves off of branches, so an actual ones probably wouldn't be very useful for grasping or clenching down on anything. But again, they're taking some liberties here. I had mentioned that the Stegosaurus was a lot larger than a natural one would be, and I think the Sprontosaurus also has a lot of qualities you wouldn't find in an actual sauropod. Yeah. so we have the the attack on the water here, and there's some unintentionally funny moments where it flings the people in the air. Yes. Almost like Well, before,
2: where, before we get to that, let's talk uh, about the way it emerges from the water.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, it's so it's really beautiful. Wa- yeah. Again, introducing the creature from a distance uh-huh. instead of just having it just suddenly pop into frame is yeah. You just the, see the, 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 rising up the a foggy, build
2: up. a foggy scene with a lazy river, and then all of a sudden something emerges, rises up from the water, and yes. Inthia made a comment saying this is like. Alien.
3: Yes, it oh. reminded me of when you look at a xenomorph dead on. It's just this oblong, ominous shape, and it was rising up, and I was like, oh, this is very xenomorphic. So. It gets closer and gets very aggressive. They immediately start trying to kill it, and which is not going to work, thankfully. This time, yeah. um, he tips over the raft, which was very satisfying for me to watch. <laughs> and then they said, straight up kills the crew chomp, chomp, mm-hmm. because he just starts picking them out of the water and is like breaking bones, throwing them, yep. grabbing the next one, breaking bones, throwing them,
1: toss them around. Uh- we we dissolve to the next scene, and you almost think that they're out of the woods, and it's like, nope. <laughs> <And> this, <laughs> at some point, our crew must have reached the shore, and even then, they're not safe, because we dissolve immediately to the chase going on. Yes. And this, the Brontosaurus is not giving up on this.
3: And there's one lone guy who is not keeping up with everyone else. Yeah. For some reason, he climbs a tree.
1: Yeah, that's just got to be a moment of stupid, stupid panic. (laughs) Because he climbs up to just the perfect level for this brontosaurus to get a good look at him and just say, I don't like you. Yeah, But it's a very tense moment. I guess that's the reason why. You don't need to worry so much about why this guy did it as the really amazing shot that follows. Because that's a a hair-raising close-up there of this guy.
2: Yeah, well, you, you get those great close-ups of the brontosaurus that he's doing that same yeah. sort of snarling that that's that nothing. Willis O'Brien did with the brontosaurus in Lost World, yeah, the
1: curl of the lip. Yeah. yeah, that's that's very true. Yeah, the Lost World had a scene between a brontosaurus and an allosaur confronting each other. Yeah, the brontosaurus does curl its lip upwards, which I don't think a real brontosaurus could do. But it's <laughs> but it's such a big nice all tu- <laughs> It's such a nice touch that yeah. you know why not.
2: But then, when the Brontosaurus does get this fella, that's my favorite scream in the movie.
1: So, Husky the Dimwit Sailor is defeated by the Brontosaurus, who puts him gently on the ground. He does not start eating him. He probably... (laughs) He probably mounted him, kept them for his collection of, of idiots he's killed. <laughs> However, our heroes don't realize that the chase is over with them and the Brontosaurus. They're, they're continuing on because they've got, by this point, they've got good reason to believe that everything on this island is going to kill them. So they go rushing through and this is where we finally catch up to our friend Kong.
3: In the meantime, Kong has heard them and realizes he is holding on to Anne and he looks back at them, looks at her, and realizes, you can tell at that point, he's like, well, they're chasing me because they're trying to get her back.
1: Kong crosses a giant chasm on a very ominous log
3: yes and denim gets held back he gets ends up getting caught on a tree so he gets held back driscoll when they get to this log he ends up climbing down the side of the little cliff area yeah
1: by this point kong is put in safely or so he believes in a tree and he's doubled back this the crew is not expecting kong to suddenly be coming at them And this is a good moment for me to talk about something, our first cutscene.
2: Well... Well, the, the, the big question is, we have our crew on this log, and Kong appears, and he starts turning the log, trying to get the crew off. And everyone asks, why don't the crew run back where they came and get off this log? Why, why don't they run
1: back? Now, your initial reaction could be just that they didn't have their footing. Something that was cut out at this moment was they were being chased by yet another creature. Now, in the early in the earlier drafts, they encounter another another beast that's called an Arsinotherium, An Arsinotherium is a large prehistoric mammal that mostly resembles a rhinoceros, but it's got these two gigantic parallel horns on its head that are massive for its proportions. This thing was a very intimidating-looking animal, and if you saw it, you would probably want to get away from it as quickly as possible. The Arsinotherium would have chased them to one side of the chasm and they would have been trapped between them and Kong. At some point, the Arsenotherium was swapped out for another creature, which was, I believe, a Triceratops. Before it was swapped out for a Styracosaurus, which is a relative of a Triceratops. It's got spikes around its frill and one horn. Before it was cut out entirely. I kind of get the feeling the reason it was cut out entirely is for story purposes, because you would have wondered why didn't this thing get denim, because denim has to be held back. Mm. I also think it's also, it w- might have been a case of just pacing maybe even a bit of overkill there this moment was recreated by the Weta workshop who did the special effects for the new King Kong and when Kong finally came on on DVD there was a bonus moment where they did a, a basically a reenactment with stop motion and you get to see Kong and the Starakosaurus trapping the two people and I think the reason, one of the main reasons, again, why it was cut off was it takes too much attention away from Kong. You're one, you're almost left right. wondering why are Kong and this styracosaurus working together? It's like, mm-hmm. is that like his pet or something like that?
2: Well, there were lots of cuts made throughout the movie. I think a lot of it was for
1: time. Yeah, and pacing. So
3: Driscoll climbs down um, the side of the little embankment and gets into like a little cave. Yeah, and he's directly under King Kong. These guys are on this log and uh, King Kong is able to shake them off and they fall down into this little ravine and die.
1: This massive ravine, massive, massive. creepy-looking canyon. And
3: each
2: one has a great scream also. And you hear
3: every single one of them fall. Ah!
2: And, uh, yeah, it's so scary. And the bodies, these were little figures that they dropped into this chasm, and they weighted each one so they would have more of a natural fall. They did yeah, great.
1: They don't look like action figures yeah, being they look, thrown wow. down there. They, they look they, good. You feel the weight, and especially the way their screams stop the moment they hit the yeah. ground is also a nice touch.
2: Mm-hmm. But that chasm that they go into was a deleted scene, probably the most famous deleted scene of all time. But that's the spider pit sequence. Yeah. There was always rumors that there was this deleted scene where they would survive the fall and all these giant spiders and like a giant crab or something would come out there
1: is concept art that was done by byron crab that shows that there was a whole menagerie of creatures down here there were giant spiders giant lizards a tentacled creature that could have been some kind of mollusk or maybe even a a carnivorous plant who knows what it is there are crustaceans and crabs i mean it's it, it this this drawing looks a lot like Gustav Doré's work for like Dante's Inferno because it's a scene of like prehistoric hell. Wow! And this scene was shot. It was actually it was animated. It mm-hmm. was shot. I'm sure if you believe someone like Fori Ackerman who probably claimed to have seen everything. He- I'm sure he claimed to well, have seen it.
2: I th- I saw that at an early screening in 1933, <laughs> and but. Uh, it was mentioned in early issues of Famous Monsters, and Forrest Ackerman, being the collector that he was, did find a photo of one of the spiders from the spider pit sequence mm-hmm. and published it, and that just added more awareness yeah. to what this is and what people missed out on this incredible scene. Yeah. And everyone wanted to see the scene, and people are hoping that it will one day show up. It never showed up. No one's ever been able to find it. Peter Jackson makes the 2005 version, and he says, I want to have my spider pit sequence. He was, His was more of a slug's sequence you know and he was worried that they were going to cut that scene out of the movie because it's not really needed but it's just a fun sequence so he wrote in the script of his movie that carl dunham's camera gets destroyed in that sequence there has to be something big that happens to keep the scene in the movie so he was able to keep his scene and then as aiden was saying with uh creating the strachosaurus when the Strachosaurus was chasing them, Peter Jackson recreated it for the DVD. It also included the spider pit sequence. Yeah, it's it's
1: yeah. interesting to watch. It's also interesting that the DVD doesn't allow, allow you the option to have the scene inserted in the movie. But you know, it, it's its own thing.
2: That's probably it, a, a choice of Peter Jackson. Yeah, I don't think he wants to change the movie.
1: The spider pit sequence allegedly was cut out just because pacing reasons and i think also cooper was concerned that it took too much attention off of kong when we're for the sense of pacing we still have to deal with driscoll hiding in the chasm and that needs to be dealt with we still need to get back to anne and instead we're having this long But still doubtlessly amazing sequence that unfortunately just gets cut. I do have a copy of this footage along with London After Midnight. If you mail me a blank check, I'll see if I can get around to sending you one on on DVD.
2: But, you know, they did film all this and then a dinosaur comes up to get Jack Driscoll.
1: Yeah, this this two-legged lizard-like creature is the only survivor... Of this sequence, and that's why when he appears in the final cut movie, even though the entire Spider Pit sequence was cut, this one last survivor still appears, and it's.
2: And this one last survivor rumor is he only has two legs which wouldn't be that natural but he has two legs because it would just be easier to animate yeah
0: <laughs>
1: he almost you could almost say he sets up the skull crawlers in kong skull island yeah, maybe Maybe that was intentional maybe not it's also a little theory i'm sure his back legs were cut off for the same reason that harry Hosson cut out two tentacles from his It came from beneath the sea octopus. Just or
2: why Walt Disney cut off a finger of Mickey Mouse. Yeah, just
1: just easier to do. The lizard, for some reason, is not climbing the walls like a lizard would. It's climbing up well, this... Well, he only sing- has
2: two legs.
1: Oh, there, he, yeah, there he goes. He's a hand, <laughs> handy-capable lizard who has to climb up a single vine. In a, in a kind of humorous moment, Driscoll disposes of this lizard by cutting the vine that it's on, and it goes... And I'm, I'm surprised they didn't have like the little wily e. coyote dust cloud cut. Yeah. Or, like
3: a little splat. Yeah. Well, but isn't this like right before this Kong is reaching in <sighs> yes. to mm-hmm. the cave? Yeah. And I really like this of having the stop motion animated King Kong, and then it's cut so well with the live actor. Yeah,
1: facing the life size prop of the hand.
3: Yeah, and so he's like yeah. stabbing. Um, Kong's hand. Yeah,
1: you get some nice acting moments from Kong, too. Just Kong's first reaction when he notices Driscoll's down there is he's not really filled with the rage that he was when he saw them on the log. This time, it almost feels like a cat playing with a mouse. It's yeah. almost like playtime where he sees him down there. He's got this, this mischievous smirk on his face like, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, and then he gets the stab in the finger and all of a sudden... He's very sad.
2: Yeah, when he's sad, looking at his fingers, this is really the first example of seeing King Kong's sympathy, or our sympathy for King Kong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The music matches it. And And,
2: uh, we see that he's more than just a brainless beast.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Meanwhile, while all of this is happening, a T-Rex has shown up. And is, is going Anne, towards Anne, Anne, Anne who is Anne
1: has been placed in the tree and again this is another great dinosaur introduction moment where okay. we kind of hear it coming. There is also a very nice little touch that when it steps into frame and Anne starts screaming, the, the Tyrannosaurus reaches up and scratches its ear, and it's it's just a little throwaway <laughs> thing, but it's it's one of those little touches that O'Brien gave to these things to make them feel like they were alive. I mean, yeah. and
2: this this is a three-fingered T-Rex. Yeah.
3: So this <laughs> this T-Rex goes in for Anne, who is now screaming, and this distracts Kong from the whole Jack situation. So, the T-Rex and Kong fight it out. And I noticed here that this T-Rex has... Big cat noises, like yeah, like a there's, lion, there's, a tiger.
1: There are some interesting parts where I believe that Murray Spivak was the guy who did the sound effects for this film, and I'm sure a lot of people have mentioned about Kong's roar, a lion's roar with a tiger's roar backwards with a reverb or something like that. <laughs> There's an anecdote where he had consulted a zoologist for what kind of sounds dinosaurs would make, and the zoologist basically told him, shut the hell up, dinosaurs don't make sounds, because they're (laughs) like, they're like iguanas or whatever. So he just kind of had to kind of fake it. I think the Tyrannosaurus might have actually been human vocals.
2: Lots of the vocals in this were him, or people that he got to do vocals, and he slowed it down, and... Mm -hmm. there were ideas at that point that dinosaurs were closer related to reptiles than they were to... Uh,
3: reptiles. <laughs> they, reptiles.
2: Yeah, than they were to a bird. <laughs> but now we know that uh, dinosaurs are more closely related to mm-hmm. birds. In fact, the word raptor means <laughs>
1: They're still reptiles.
3: Thanks, you, I mean, Alan
1: Grant. I I do agree that the Tyrannosaurus does not sound as imposing as it should have. It no. does sound more like a cat that's been that's really worked up when you're fighting when you're playing with it. But we do get the fight. And this fight is so good. It's a knockout fight. I mean, it, part of it, part of the fight, really feels like the way that animals fight, and part of it feels more like a boxing match, which mm-hmm. makes sense because Willis O'Brien, I guess, apparently, uh, was a prize fighter in his time. Oh. He, so he probably did. I think there there are some very early stop motion tests he did of just two clay prize fighters just fighting each other, and. There's a, I mean, you have that weird, that funny move that Kong does when he somersaults and throws the Tyrannosaurus over him. It's a very wrestling kind of move. (laughs) And, of course, you have Kong's big coup de grace, which really, really was too gory for me as a little kid watching this movie. And and even now, it's still as difficult to watch as Kong defeating the Tyrannosaurus by breaking its head open.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's...
1: It, they draw it out for everything it's worth it is it is extremely gory for a horror mo- for a horror movie of this time period in fact I yeah. mean, there's no way yeah, they would have gotten
3: the blunt just comes out of its head yeah. well, the, he basically, the
1: cracking he, sounds he, the,
2: you know Pulls his jaws apart and then yeah. breaks his snout and,
3: and yeah, and like and, puts all of his body weight on it. It's yeah. very impressive.
1: Yeah, what done.
2: but you know, besides Willis O'Brien being a boxer, the directors also uh, used to be wrestlers. They had a sort of a wrestling oh. career, and they apparently sort of choreographed the fight uh, oh, with nice. Willis O'Brien uh, based off of their wrestling and boxing career interesting
3: <laughs> during this fight anne's tree is knocked over and she gets trapped under this tree like her leg ends up getting trapped
1: she's placed down yeah. at foot level of these fighting monsters after
3: this
2: scene as king kong is walking off you'll notice there's some water in the foreground willis o'brien always liked to use water in his scenes and that shot of yeah. that stream of water that river of water is the la river
3: so he approaches Anne and picks her up from here yeah, um, he,
1: he gently lifts the tree and yeah. she's freaking out although he's just happy that she's alive again we get one of those smiling giant kong puppet yes. moments
3: dunham and uh jack end up meeting up and it's decided that dunham- on,
1: on opposite sides of the canyon yes yes, um, yes. Dra- by this point jack is trapped on his side of the canyon that that heads for kong Denim is on the other side and Jack doesn't want rescuing right now. He wants to, to let to send him back to arm themselves yes. to continue the chase.
3: So he's going to go back and get more men and bombs. So Jack insists that he's going to go follow Kong while the trail is hot.
1: Inglehorn and some of the crew were left behind, incidentally, just so you don't have the plot point where why didn't the natives just lock the door behind them? Yeah. So there you go. So that that wasn't specifically shown.
3: So he'll signal once he finds her.
1: He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how he's going to. It's just. It's just this is. How how we're going to save the day, we don't know, but we're 100% committed to doing it. Yep. <laughs> Commitment is the theme of the film. Everybody knows what they want, and they go for it.
3: And Denim plans to come back at dawn the next day. So Kong takes Anne to his lair, the foyer to his lair. Yeah,
1: there were, there were some <laughs> deleted scenes here. Apparently there was a tri- another Triceratops encounter that was cut. There might have been a snake encounter that was cut, and there was definitely some footage of Kong climbing up the mountain that was cut, and I think that was cut mm. because it would have left questions of how Driscoll got up there.
3: It makes sense.
1: Yeah, we get to the entrance of the cave that leads to the top of Skull Mountain. He puts Ann down safely again, and he walks off screen, presumably to check his emails or whatever. Yeah. And our next creature enters. Now, a lot of people mistakenly think that this is a snake.
3: I it, thought it was a snake with its legs.
1: This is <laughs> so. This this is a prehistoric species of reptile. Uh, it's called a plasiosaur, or uh, this one might be an elasmosaurus. These these creatures lived out in the open sea. They did not have constricting abilities like a boa or a python would, which this creature definitely does. So there's a lot of liberties taken with this thing. That's Okay. <laughs> But this creature still does kick some major ass. In fact, of all of Kong's encounters, this is probably the one where he came closest to being offed by his opponent. Because this thing, the animation is very well done. This thing whips and speeds along really quickly and there's that very tense moment where it gets its tail around Kong's throat and a nice sound touch is that Kong's roars are cut off by that. You really mm. get the feeling that his neck is being crushed.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, meanwhile, this is all happening. Jack sees this. He is there. Yeah. But he's not approaching. No, he's just seeing it from a, a he's, little. He's t- a
1: tough t- guy, but he's a little out of his league in this, yeah, in this sure. kind of moment. Yeah, He knows yeah.
3: his place. Well, he's waiting for the right moment. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um after defeating this um, creature, Kong takes Anne to the best view on the island. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's
1: very impressive. It
3: it's, is. Yeah. And he sets her down, and then he roars. lets out the classic beating of his chest roar um which causes ann to faint yeah
1: (laughs) it's it's his way of saying i've look i've had two really bad fights today i'm done i just want to sit here with my new girl and i'm not in the mood for more fighting which of course he's he's in for a surprise
3: he's um picked up Anne, and he removes a little bit of her clothing Uh, this
1: is a scene that for the longest time was not available this was cut by the censors, and the fact that it was actually restored is really amazing because a lot of times in these classic films when something was cut it was gone forever Mm. so this was something that was unavailable for the longest time presumably i
2: think the reason that they were able to find it was because it wasn't cut in the initial run It was cut in a re-release in 1938. Oh. Uh, So the initial run had it. And then it was cut along with scenes of Kong eating people and stepping on people, uh, dropping people, uh, the violent stuff. And then it was uh, put back in in the 70s, I think.
3: Okay, Hmm. So she wakes up and he at that moment is having just a real good time and her. oh yeah at her. He, he's
1: poking at her he enjoys the smell of her too which yeah, is a moment yeah. that a, a lot of people read way too much into is the fact that he pokes her and sniffs his fingers afterwards
2: yeah and i just like seeing his nose twitch
1: it's it's a nice touch too the music is appropriately very whimsical for this mm-hmm. moment too this is just a big a big animal enjoying his new yeah. his new toy
3: yeah
2: And this scene was conceived by Willis O'Brien, the animator of Kong and the monsters. You know, he had assistant animators that would do different scenes and stuff, but this scene he chose to do himself because he was more into doing the subtle scenes that required acting.
1: yeah, mm. And this is also another shot that just shows how great the matting in, the, in this movie so is. This is the well. shot I was talking
2: about. It mixes every single type of animation. And the whole uh-huh. sequence here, even later when you get the long shots on top of Skull Mountain and a friend shows up, you have those great shots that show and Darrow as a wooden figure and that she goes behind a rock, and then it's the real Feyre, and yeah. without a cut, they're, they're just and swapped
1: in and out just by just by placement and composition. Yeah, yeah it's just, great. It's almost like a magician's trick where you know just placed in just the right moment, you can swap out for the double. And at this moment, too, yeah, this is really well done, because you have Fei-Rei in this giant paw, but the the setup for the paw is blocked off by the stop-motion animated Kong that's Mm -hmm. placed just in the foreground. Yeah. Obviously with one of his arms obscured, so... You really believe that he's holding her up. So Jack
3: yeah. makes a noise in the cave area, and this distracts Kong. Bumps into a boulder. Yeah. yeah. He accidentally rolls and, down a boulder. And uh, he goes to investigate what that noise is, which you should never do in a movie. <laughs> Yeah, it might
2: as well just to go outside and investigate a strange noise or something.
3: <laughs> so, meanwhile, a pterodactyl shows up to take An- Anne. Anne.
1: Anne has crawled to the edge of the cliff for whatever reason. Presumably because Kong went in one direction, so she's going to go in the other a pteranodon shows up, and this pteranodon is again like the stegosaurus. There are liberties taken with this animal's size. This pteranodon is almost like the size of a small a small airplane. When an actual an actual pter- an actual pteranodon, I think, was like a twenty foot yeah. wingspan, which is a big animal, a big flying animal, but not well, but not big enough to carry a human yeah, being away. That's yeah. the
2: thing; it has to be big enough to carry her away. Yeah, which uh, this is. Besides the Kong head, hand, and foot. foot this is the only other uh, life-size creation they made yeah
1: this is the only other non-kong life-size creation too and it's very fleeting the pteranodon's hands holding her Uh. now this moment is without doubt the most difficult time the animators had on the entire movie because stop motion is extremely difficult i don't know if you guys know but when you move the puppet along it you can only move it very small at a time Mm -hmm. the the skeleton of it needs to be kept in very good condition at all times because you don't want it accidentally jiggling or losing movements. The puppet's feet need to be bolted down by something that's obstructing the view of the feet. The pteranodon being held up by wires must have taken forever, and I think the se- this one very quick little sequence did take them weeks or maybe even months to animate.
2: It took uh, seven weeks to film this scene, good wow. God. and yes, it was the most difficult scene for them to do. And wow.
1: It is difficult to spot the wires in this part because that i mean so much work had to be taken into making this thing you know interact with kong and try to get Anne away too and again there's some nice acting here this thing really does behave the way that a bird would if you if you manage to grab a hold by a bird that just wants to get the hell out of there they are very frantic they go right for the eyes and yeah. even though pteranodon's not a bird a lot of it's like a what? lot of homework was done to make this thing act like a like a living animal. So the Pteranodon is it is quickly defeated, but again, yes. seven weeks of animation still gave you enough to for for that moment. And that moment is also important too because that's What we were saying earlier about Driscoll waiting for just the right moment, his moment has come. Kong is too busy with the Pteranodon to notice that Driscoll has finally managed to get his way up there. And they've also finally managed to find a way to get away from Kong.
3: And so they start climbing down this cliff on a little rope. And um, I love this. Kong pulls the rope back up. Yeah.
1: And they make that big jump.
3: Yep. And they jump right into the water below. So they fall in there, he gets really angry and so he takes yeah. off, presumably.
1: Presumably back the way he came. He's yes. not going to go cliff diving himself. Exactly. We don't know how deep that water is.
3: So they run off towards the village. Yeah.
1: We pre- we could presume that they made their way back the way they came from by... T- well, not going the way they came from, but probably by going down the river. Let's yeah. assume that the river didn't have any giant pre-historic well, that, creatures exa- in it.
2: That's exactly what he says.
3: As they're making their way back to the gate, they're spotted um, by one of the crewmen who is a lookout. And
1: then and you get
2: one of my favorite shots of the movie, which is them running towards the camera.
1: Yeah, and poor Fay Wray getting hit in the face again and again and again with this foliage. She, if you, oh. There are some still shots that you can see in some books, and she looks exhausted. She looks battered. She and looks, you
3: can, yeah. So they get to the gate, and everyone comes around them. She is just weak and... Yeah at this point
1: this moment is the closest denim comes to really being almost irredeemable yeah because we've talked before about how he's committed to his goal if he puts people in danger you know so be it but this part here where they mention the fact that how are they going to reach kong and denim mentions that kong will come to them because we've got something that he wants and he fixes this glare on Anne that mm-hmm. there's no there's no way to look at it other than just What? Wow. You are a bastard. (laughs)
3: Yeah, 100%.
1: And that's. I almost wish that moment wasn't included. And Denim would have to wait for another movie to be redeemed for that kind of behavior. But but thankfully the action picks up again before you have too long to linger on wow he's really willing to sacrifice Anne yeah. and everyone else for this movie but thankfully kong comes
3: so he wants to use her bait he has bombs he says that he will he wants to take him with him so kong appears and the islanders are alerted and they've been hiding previous to this yeah. um because they were shot at and now they've come out and so everyone is trying to hold this gate back. Yeah. And so it's hundreds of people, yeah. at um, this point, tens of people.
1: At this point, it's not even who, its who, which side is against which side. They both know that they're screwed if Kong shows up. So exactly. everybody everybody puts their differences aside and is willing to just get the door shut and we'll deal with, we'll deal with yes. the rest of the problems later. Unfortunately, it's way too late and Kong is way too committed to his goal. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to let anything stop him, including this door that presumably has been holding him back for generations. So...
3: So. Um, he proceeds to then destroy the village.
2: When he breaks through, it's such a great shot. It's a wide shot. The door opens, yeah. and then you have all the people running towards the camera oh, You yeah. see their silhouette.
1: Ah, oh, so good.
3: So Kong destroying homes, destroying any sort of anything Just, in front of destroying
1: him. Destroying the guards with the spears. Yeah, yeah. he's really angry
2: here. He it really does a lot of destruction. Yeah,
1: he's been through a lot, and he know, he wants back what he really, really wants. Yeah. And no, no itty-bitty little people people are going to stop him. There is an unintentionally funny moment where a villager (laughs) knocks over a chicken coop that takes his wig with him. Yeah. Yeah. There's another unintentionally funny moment, or maybe this was intentionally, where um, a toddler... Don King is there <laughs> sitting on the ground. I, we know it's him by the hair. Mm-hmm. We know there was going to be a spin-off sequel called Don King Kong. No. <laughs> and his... Well, the the little kid, to his credit, the little kid looks genuinely unhappy. Oh, he's yeah. cr- he's crying. This The mom sees him and screams and... She rushes out. The, it's a just perfect timing of the mom getting out there just in time to save this kid from getting stepped on. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Just, just but,
2: like earlier when the kid was saved from being stepped on by the chief.
3: Yeah, Yeah.
1: only in this case, it's this is <laughs> this is much much
3: worse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this would yeah. Yeah, throwing villagers onto the ground and squishing them into the mud, um, which
1: always to me looked like Kong was just telling them, "Eat your oatmeal, <laughs> <laughs> eat
3: it." <laughs> Can I? So that mud reminded me almost of like in the 70s i think one of the biggest threats to anyone's existence aside from stairs was (laughs) quicksand Right.
1: Oh, my playground was a nightmare. It, it, it oh. did look like quicksand. Oh, little Tommy and Susie, man, we ne- we never saw them again after they went in that sandbox.
2: Not that way, quicksand, quicksand. quicksand. quicksand.
1: It's very muddy, but that way you get to squish the stuntman into the ground yeah. without really hurting him. Because I don't well, know, I don't know how much this prop foot would have weighed, but I wouldn't imagine it would have been pleasant getting stuck under that thing if it did happen to fall. So,
2: well, speaking of that, I don't even know if that guy was a stuntman. He may have just been an or, actor, yeah. but they brought him on to do this scene and the giant foot was giant and it scared him more than you could imagine and right after that scene was done he got up and ran away and never came back <laughs> I, don't,
3: I don't blame him
1: i don't blame yeah i him. don't
3: either like yeah no that's eh, fine
1: well i hope i hope craft services at least gave him something for his troubles
3: kong is putting people in his mouth breaking their bones mm-hmm. eating some people spinning them out throwing them onto the ground pushing people off of things, breaking houses. He's going hammer on this town.
1: Inthea, you should have said he's going ape.
3: I'm not on it. I'm not not on it. And it's so frustrating because they're right (laughs) there. They're like on a little silver platter and I'm like, (laughs) hammer. (laughs) Not ape. (laughs) so
1: Kong reaches the beach and there's he's just plowed through a village and a village is worth of people and there's no signs of stopping this guy Mm -hmm. until Denim whips out our old uh, deus ex machina in gas bomb form Yes, and it's a really nice explosion too and Kong's acting after breathing in this gas is a nice touch where it's so
3: good yeah
1: he's all he's definitely astounded by something that he can't see and can't touch has basically just walloped him good Mm. and he's Yeah, the confusion and the fear in his eyes is a nice touch. Mm -hmm. And then down he goes.
3: When he talks about how taking (laughs) him in, and and they're like, "Well, how are you going to control him?" And he's like, "We will have the best chains, but we will also basically tame him. That they're going to show him things to be afraid of. Yeah, like he wants to break Kong. It's
1: it's yeah. Again, it's probably more about his. Not th- him not thinking about how he's going to do it as the fact that he's going to do it. And even though I don't hold it past Denim at this point to to not be sympathetic or humane towards Kong, it still is mostly just about he's just so frantically excited about the possibilities mm-hmm. this this giant ape is going to have for him. And it's just his enthusiasm is in, the, in this scene, even though you know he's just going to get them into more trouble, the fact that Robert Armstrong delivers this dialogue with so much gusto and so much... Pure, pure
3: joy. He did so. Yeah.
0: Why in a few months it'll be up in lights on Broadway. Kong. The eighth wonder of the
3: world So after he reveals his plans and uh we just he's gonna make some money.
1: We just cut right to what do you promise? Kong's name. I It'll love be up it. in Lights on Broadway.
3: Yep, and it's yeah. opening night of King Kong the eighth wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. You see massive crowds going into this yeah. theater and people assume some people pe- assume it's pe- a movie. And pe- people are going
1: keep in mind they say the tickets cost twenty bucks yep. and in nineteen thirty three that's a lot. That's a, that was a lot of money to go see uh, whatever Denim had planned which goes to show you, you know, just how good Denim was at playing the P.T. Barnum role of getting yeah. people to waste money on yeah. something Someone they on- didn't even know.
2: Someone online did the conversion of what that would be in today's standards and uh I, I can't remember exactly but i think it was like around five thousand dollars
1: a dot lot crazy yeah a lot of money
3: so some people assume it's a movie there's yeah. a little scene there's, where there's a woman who's like i can't sit this close yeah. to the screen and they're like it's not a moving picture
1: look at this woman's expression as soon as she's finishing speaking and as soon as the usher starts talking she's got this big phony smile on her face saying oh it makes us movies about those darling monkeys and tigers and things and as soon as the usher starts talking her entire face just drops with this big frown <laughs>
2: Are I you don't, saying she's a bad actress?
1: No, I'm saying that she's a bad person. Okay. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and speaking of insane. bad people, we have our other encounters with gorillas with that little throwaway line where two two big heavy guys are just shoving their way through, which nobody does in New York at all. <laughs> I heard it's a kind of a gorilla.
3: Boy, have we got enough of them in New York? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. But yeah, it's just people theorizing. So Anne and Jack are backstage.
2: I always wondered what is this show really going to be? Like... He says he's going to tell the story of how he found Kong, and Kong instantly is revealed. Are people just supposed to sit there for three hours looking at him, and that's that?
1: That's the thing. I mean, if you put too much logic into it, you can wonder, you know, what happens if Kong suddenly goes to the bathroom up on stage? (laughs) (laughs) But again, that's when when it comes to parodies. The Simpsons addressed this exactly when they did their parody of King Kong, where they just said, the ape is going to stand around for a few hours or so.
2: (laughs) What kind of show you got for us, Mr.
3: Burns? Well, the ape's going to stand around for three hours or so. So Anne comments that she doesn't want to look at him. It just brings up bad memories and reminds her of just that horrible time on the island. Kong is currently tied up and there's a bunch of journalists that are backstage. Denim is talking to them and he ends up pitching to them that their story should come from beauty uh, and beauty beast. and the beast story Play gotcha. angle. so he wants them to use that but he tells them that he wants them to go out there and they'll take all the pictures in front of the audience yeah um and send them out of their way give him
1: credit he's not a glory hog here he yeah. he, he also knows that the story of Anne and jack is also that the newspapers will eat it up and so will the audience so yes. maybe maybe it is done for a bit more for just for, for showmanship purposes than it is just thinking about goodwill for all, but again, that's some. It's just something for people to determine by themselves.
3: Any comments? Also, um, once they leave, he's talking to them. Any comments that they made? Ten thousand dollars just from ticket sales alone. Yeah. So finally, he comes out and talks to the crowd, and Kong is revealed to the crowd to an absolutely hushed, silent, shocked crowd yeah. and he is chained up on this little platform yeah. look at Kong <laughs> so Jack and Anna revealed to be engaged and denim wants the photographers to take pictures of them in front of Kong as well as yeah. taking pictures of Kong and the flash as soon as they start flat, like taking pictures it's just this real obnoxious flash it's agitating yeah. Kong and then he puts Jack and Anne in front of him more pictures tells him put this, your arm around Anne," and that pisses kong off the flash that's what they think
1: yeah the flash bulbs too also kong by that point i don't remember if he was shot at in the village i don't think so but he but this is still something he's never encountered before yeah. in a place he's never been to before so kong is obviously pretty terrified too and kong reacts to terror by getting violent yep.
2: and- also cameras yep. of 1933 there are many explosions going off and and yeah it like, was like, in a giant oh, explosion
1: yeah <laughs> And uh. give give denim credit here too. He at least tries to stop them when he tells them, "Hold on." He thinks he thinks you're frightening the girl, and mm. it's these reporters who basically tell him, eh, who cares?"
3: He immediately breaks free of his chains and well, breaks out of the theater. Not quite
1: immediately. That build up to it too where he's just thrashing around, and Mm. you cut to the audience wondering. There is some tension held there, too, where you wonder, is he going to get away from this? And right when he breaks that first chain, the music kicks in, the audience goes nuts, and the adrenaline really gets going, because you know this this is not going to be good.
3: I really like the scene of him crashing through the doors, these giant doors from the theater out into New York. So now he's loose in New York, and he follows Anne and Jack... as they're running to this up
1: yeah it's it's hard he doesn't know where they are just yet because he's he's looking around for them which leads to a surprisingly cruel moment from Kong although you can't say it was done with actual cruel intentions where Kong climbs a building finds a woman that he initially thinks is Anne Mm -hmm. and then when he realizes it's not her he's like I don't have any use for this little thing and drops her to the street
2: and this scene was cut for a long time and missing for a long time. Oh, really? Yeah. And this scene, I think, is the scariest point of the movie. It is. It's so scary thinking you're just sleeping and this giant hand comes out and grabs yeah. you and you're hanging stories and stories over the street, and then that scream that yeah. blends into the sirens of the police yeah. cars going. It's uh, a
1: surprisingly cruel moment, and it's but it's also interesting for the contrast of Kong, where you can't just have him be 100% the sympathetic innocent baby. You need. Yeah. That you need to show that he's dangerous too because yeah. that's that contrast is what makes kong such a fascinating character ann
3: and jack are in their apartment which is higher up a few floors from where, where this has occurred and they think that they're safe how, and i love
1: this how kong finds them is just the power of cinema coincidence because <laughs> if you were being realistic if they had just gotten on a bus and fled town what kind of story will we have had yeah i love this Dr- driscoll Basically, knocking himself out is—is a, is a, 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 fore, a forehead slapping moment where you're like, I, I, "Yeah, really... I was like,
3: did he just knock himself out?" And Robert's like, "Yes, yes." But that happens
2: you, sometimes. Like, yeah. have, you, have you ever taken a baseball bat and no. tried to hit a basketball, and no. it just bounces back and hits you in the head? No, I've never done
0: that. Is this based on a
1: true story? Or yeah. So Anne is captured all over again and kong is basically just he's got his prize but now the question is what's what is he going to do when this alien land were full of things that could possibly kill him
3: yep he's running through the streets and encounters the above ground streetcar what are they called a uh, train the train sure. or subway. it's
1: a really good moment too. He yeah
3: it's so good he derails this train while yeah. he ruins all of the track gets the train and starts pounding the crap out of it mm-hmm. as there are people on it and i love that Again, a bunch of unassuming people just going about their business. Mm-hmm. The uh, train operator sees yeah. it, tries to break. The
1: buildup to and, it, too. Yeah, yeah that, that tension where you wonder, is he going to stop the train in time before he hits Kong yep. or before Kong takes down this rail? Yeah. It's so a very good. tense moment, too. And I
3: like the animation of when he's like just bashing it. Oh um, yeah. There's like one there, little person that, li- that escapes in the back. Yeah, oh, a
1: couple there, guys. Yeah. There's a nice a touch where that. after he's done smashing the thing and he gives that expression like bah. Yeah. He just waves his hand. And he's like he's thoroughly disgusted this this town by now, and that's when he starts his big climb. Yeah.
2: Now, this scene was a late addition. When King Kong was finished, it came in at 13 reels, and Marion C. Cooper was superstitious, and he said, no picture of mine's going to be 13 reels. (laughs) So he wanted to get it up to 14. He could have just deleted some more stuff. I mean, stuff did eventually get deleted in the 1938 version, but he just wanted to keep making more. So he wrote this scene and made this scene to bring it up to 14 reels. Uh, so it was a later addition, and you'll notice they made a mistake. They forgot to add King Kong's little bracelet in that scene. Oh,
3: his shackle. his shackle. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause shackle. It, it, it his little a... bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a shackle. shackle. From here, we hear a radio broadcast that Kong is headed towards the Empire State Building. Kong is
1: heading north. He's heading towards the Empire State
3: Building. That is all. And uh, then we hear that he's climbing the Empire State Building. And Jack is with the police. (laughs) 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 And uh, he suggests that the the best way to get him, because they can't get up there, is to shoot him down with some planes. Or shoot at him, but these planes will be so accurate that they will not... Shoot her! Yeah, you do have
1: to like the enthusiasm they hear after. That's it! Planes! We'll get planes! Oh, bye. I know We're everyone's like Airplane rides! Yay!
2: I know that for some reason that scene really annoys me. How enthusiastic they get, and then the reporters are all yeah, excited. Maybe, like
1: maybe let's just assume that it's a ray of hope, and they're willing to accept it. Although, <laughs> the, although their tone is very uh, does not match the scene because they almost think that they're going to go ride the airplanes at
0: Disneyland.
1: <laughs> There's one thing we haven't thought of. What? Airplanes. If he should put a hand down
0: and they can fly close enough to pick him off without hitting her, you're right. Please. Call appeal. Oh boy, what a
1: So they're on we have the build up to the Empire State Building and again yes. there's the music builds up with it. Kong slowly climbs and when he gets to the top there's that you know, the music swells up entirely and we get to we've had a lot of wonderful moments of this film but this is without doubt not just the most famous moment of king kong but one of the most famous moments in in cinema of any era mm-hmm. this is something that is so cemented into just the history of movies that it's it still hasn't been topped
3: it's great it's so great i love so the planes are attacking king kong kong has put Anne down He's at the very tippy top of the Empire State Building. They are attacking him. He's trying to grab them. He's trying to take some swings at them. Yeah. I love the perspective of the plane heading. St- we oh, are yeah. in the plane heading straight yeah, at heading King Kong. heading right at
1: Kong. when he's just you know, swinging at them wildly, yeah. and and he looks pretty scary there too. Kong is yeah. really worked up at this point, and you can't blame him either. You yeah, know, for sure. And yet, for some reason, you find yourself. Rooting for Kong. That's the thing. When Kong gets that one out of four airplanes, it's its almost like you find yourself saying, yes! And then you're like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, oh, wait, I thought we were supposed to be trying to take him down. Yeah. But, but it's a really well done moment too it's pretty realistic
2: the shot of it crashing off the side of the Empress it State is
1: public. yeah it could have just gone straight down but they added that touch where it hits the side of the building too and you have the other planes circling around in the background mm-hmm. there's a lot of good stuff going on in that shot
3: I like all of it I like the the wide shot watching him climb up and his little silhouette I think it's just it's so good.
1: As and as the battle goes on, there's that slow sinking feeling mm-hmm. where as Kong realizes he's being hurt, and it's and again, it's it's paced out perfectly where it's not just bang bang bang, that's the end of Kong. It's just first he's almost kind of wondering how he's getting hurt by all this stuff too. Mm-hmm. And as the scene goes on where he really starts taking the damage, the music hits that perfect note where he finally has lost too much blood and he kind of slides down a little bit, loses yeah. his footing. Showing what Kong is going through, I think, is enough to, sh- to make us feel sorry for him because there is that one heartbreaking close-up where Kong is realizing that he's done for and he just, this this totally sad look on his yeah. face. It's not even so much that the pain he's going through, it's it really is just so much fear and confusion and sadness as he looks up. And when he look when he looks at Anne one last time, and yes she does struggle to get away, when he's looking at her, not even thinking about the fact that he's gonna get killed at this point, but it's just re looking down at her one last time and stroking her. He gets the final shots to the throat and even then his last moment is just to look at Anne again, and then he goes.
3: Yeah. And Darrow in this movie. All the other depictions of her after this she's a little she's a lot more sympathetic towards him. Well she's very much well, so
2: she loves King Kong and the other ones and yeah. this one she's the whole time is scared of him and yeah, wants well, to get away. might
1: so. as, I might as well talk about this now. this is in storytelling, this is the difference between showing and telling. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why this Kong works so well is even though yes, none of the characters in this movie care about Kong's well-being. They don't care if he lives or dies. they don't care if he's happy. But that does not mean that the movie was unsympathetic to Kong. Yeah. Because we ha- we show our sympathy for Kong just by having Kong be himself, by showing the life and the acting we put into him. We don't need Jessica Lange or Naomi Watts screaming,
0: No! Don't hurt Kong! Don't hurt him! You're bad! <laughs> I, hit,
1: I hit some high notes there. Yeah, that was... <laughs> okay, wow. I won't do that again. I won't do that again. But that's that's... The movie telling you to be sorry for Kong. And this movie just needs to show it. Yeah. And that's what makes Kong's pain and his death so heartbreaking is, even though nobody in the movie feels sorry for him, it is Cooper and the the creators had 100% faith in the fact that the audience would feel sorry for him.
3: So he's fatally wounded, falls off
2: of the building. When he falls off the building, what we get is a long shot showing the little puppet whatever that thing was while off the side oh
1: yeah well we were joking yeah. around earlier yes the kong falling down the building does look a little silly it looks like timmy threw his teddy bear off of the bunk beds and it just falls down to the ground
2: i'm always curious though as to how exactly they did that and how they did the long shot showing him climb the building because if you look at the long shot of him climbing the building it doesn't look like stop motion it animation. doesn't
1: it almost looks like a marionette that's the exactly. thing this is this would be something that another king kong movie called king kong escapes would do where whenever kong was on the towers in that film that was accomplished unless if in are in close-ups by long distances this was done by by an actual marionette on a string and all that
2: The scene of him falling off, there was originally a shot showing him from above, I guess, where... Mm -hmm. You see him falling in the street below, and it was a very interesting shot that was cut because of technical reasons. Yeah, Kong
1: was transparent. You know, they cut out what wasn't working, and they they, whatever was working was working fantastically. At
3: the base of the Empire State Building, there's a huge gathering of people around Kong's body. Denim is trying to make his way through the crowd, and someone comments that he's the one that brought... Well, that's the man who captured the monster! He did!
1: He did! And all the backgrounds, for some reason, sound like the
0: munchkins
3: (laughs) 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 so the lieutenant comments that the airplanes were the ones that brought brought him down that killed him well denim the airplanes got him oh no it wasn't the airplanes was Beauty Killed the Beast.
2: And that is one of the most misquoted quotes in film history because you won't believe how many times you read in books that the line is Twas Beauty Killed the Beast. You
1: mean it's not
3: played against Sam? (laughs) But yeah, that is King Kong.
2: A terrific picture. So that was King Kong. It's a great movie. uh, One of my favorite I'd say it's one of my favorite movies, but as I said before, it's not a movie that I revisit that often.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, But thinking back on it, and every time I do see it, I really do love it. It's just maybe because it's too sad. I don't know. I don't. It's not like I, I put it on and just play it in the background a lot. Yeah. How did you like it, Anthea?
3: I really enjoyed it.
2: Is it your favorite King Kong that you've seen?
3: Yes. There's some aspects that I really enjoy from the other ones. But I think I like this original. I like that I was able to tell where things came from in the rehashing of this story. And I really like hearing about things that were cut and whatnot. So I would have to say that of all the King Kongs, this would be my favorite.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm going to say,
3: though, the 70s one is right next to that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And Aiden, I assume this is your favorite King Kong?
1: Absolutely.
2: Well... Should we talk a little bit about the history of Kong and how it came to be? Do you guys know what some of the early titles of King Kong was? The Beast. The Beast, that was one. Kong. Kong, yes. We have The Eighth Wonder. the, mm -hmm. The Ape king ape <laughs> for the longest time it was just called kong and then executive producer david O'Selznick, uh who was an executive at rko before he left the studio one of his last things that he did was call it king kong mm. yeah. and that's what lasted
3: it's great that's a great it's a real solid name yeah <laughs> yeah
2: marion c cooper and ernest b Schoedsack. were the uh, directors of the movie, and they were both very influential to the Carl Denham character, meaning that the Denham character was based on them, more so mm. Marion C. Cooper. Mm-hmm. They both filmed wild animals like Denham did.
1: Yeah. Their earlier films had been films like Grass, Chang, I'm just remembering things up mm-hmm. there. But they were exactly the kind of jungle pictures that Denham would have made famous. You know mm. they dis- Keep It Distant, difficult, and dangerous, I think was their motto. And they were <laughs> they were very much about, you know, if we're gonna make a jungle picture, we're going right there in that damn jungle. If oh, wow. we're if we're gonna get a shot of a furious tiger down at a pit, we we're, we're actually gonna lead a tiger into a pit and film its reaction. And
2: <laughs> Their personalities were thrown into these characters, and Jack Driscoll was very much the Ernest B. Shodak character. Eventually, they brought on a writer named Ruth Rose.
1: She was the second writer. The initial treatment was well, written by a very famous mystery writer named Edgar Wallace. And uh,
2: are you sure about this? Because I have read other things. Oh, go ahead. Edgar Wallace. He was credited. As being a writer, but before he had a chance to work on it, mm-hmm. he had died. Marion C. Cooper hired him, and you know, they had had discussions about exactly what they're going to be doing. Maybe he did write a treatment, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But they both got pneumonia. Marion C. Cooper went to the hospital, and he told Edgar Wallace that you should go to the hospital, and Ooh. he didn't, and Eek. he had complications with. Diabetes oh, and ended up dying. Boy. And Mary Ann C. Cooper said he ended up not writing any of the movie, but he still gave him the credit. Oh. But Ruth Rose, I was going to say, just as a, a connection to these characters, she was an out-of-work actress uh, through much of her early years, and she found love on a ship just like that called the Arcturus. And Marion C. Cooper told her to use them as characters for the movie, mm-hmm. meaning Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Schoenzeck.
1: Uh, And by extension herself, too. And by extension herself. Because we have an out-of-work actress as our heroine in the movie.
2: Exactly. And she used her time on that ship to really build up that stuff. And uh, she knew the lingo and turned it into what it is. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Cooper and Schoedzak. They were both risk-takers, as we know, uh, like how Carl Denham was. Mm-hmm. The studio didn't really completely trust them in exactly what they were doing with the movies they were making, just like Carl Denham, but they made their movies. Uh Shodzak, he was six foot six, Holy and goodness. he was a cameraman during World War One, and he shot lots of war footage and all that. Both Schodzak and Cooper, they initially met during World War One in Vienna, and Marion C. Cooper, he was a prisoner in a Russian prison. During World War One when it was under attack and he Uh and he escaped. And then when he was making his way back to the United States, he met up with Shodzak again just randomly. And he's like, oh, I remember you from a long time ago when we talked and he told him that he wanted to make an epic movie about a little-known part of the world. Mm. So that's kind of where their friendship started, where their ideas of making these type of movies came to be. So the first film they did was Grass, as you had mentioned. And then, you know, after these first few films, Marion C. Cooper conceived of the idea of King Kong. So Marion C. Cooper, when he was asked why he dreamed up of King Kong, he said to thrill myself, to please the public too, of course, but I also wanted to please myself. I want to produce something that I could view with pride and say there is the ultimate adventure and that is why he came up with King Kong he,
1: so <laughs> he lived and breathed adventure. It was instilled in him very early on when he was a kid. I think that was actually one of the inspirations for Kong was some of these first discoveries of Europeans discovering gorillas and a lot of these stories that were sent back, whether they were true or whether they weren't, of you know, these horrifying encounters in the jungle or whatnot, I'm sure really made an impact on his young brain.
2: So David O'Salznick, he brought on Marion C. Cooper at RKO to be his assistant because of the depression and the struggle that Archeo was having. Lots of things were being canceled, including a big epic called Creation, which we mentioned earlier. What do you know about Creation?
1: Creation basically would have been a lost world film, only with uh, sailors discovering an island with uh, prehistoric creatures on it. This was actually some of the earliest instances of the Arsinotherium chasing the sailors onto a log. There is one surviving test shot, which you can see on the Kong DVD, of a sailor shooting a baby Triceratops and getting chased down by the mom. Now, unfortunately, the clip ends before the mom catches the bastard. It was a very well-done animated baby Triceratops, too. It was just... O'Brien's magic of making you believe in these creatures. Now, Creation, I think, was shelved partly because of the costs and partly because the story just didn't grab people. I don't think it had... it didn't have the the kong element
2: after creation was canceled you know they still looked at the footage cooper saw the footage cooper worked on it right or did he not
1: i'm not i forget it, have, it
2: may have just been willis o'brien yeah. that worked on it but at some point Marion c cooper saw his work on it and, and really liked it and decided they would shoot a test for kong
1: and this was important going to stop motion angle cooper had considered for the idea of a gorilla fighting reptile's to actually take live gorillas, take them over to the Komodo Islands, and, and put them in the same shot as Komodo dragons. This would have been horrible, because <laughs> gorillas are strong, but not necessarily fighters, whereas yeah. a Komodo dragon is a 10-foot-long, venomous killing machine. And I doubt the gorillas would have been happy. It would have been terrible. And yeah. thank, thank goodness that the Willis O'Brien angle came along. I'm sure yeah. the success of The Lost World was also a big factor in going that route too because
2: oh yeah i'm sure so they did this test footage and the it didn't have a name at this point it was just called production 601 so they did a test and he hired Willis O'Brien and Marcel Delgado to create King Kong. Marcel Delgado created the armatures and the whole look, the skeleton of King Kong. Yeah,
1: Marcel Delgado was the sculptor on the lost world too. I believe, I believe he was a young Mexican artist who O'Brien was just totally won over by his talent and convinced him to go for a career in the movies. And even mm-hmm. after Delgado said he wasn't really interested, O'Brien still brought him on the set of the lost world one day, just said, Hey, this is your new office. You interested? And he said, like, sure. And they, and they (laughs) went to work together.
2: So Marion C Cooper, he asked Marcel Delgado if he could create a dinosaur sized ape. And O'Brien told Delgado, don't make him look too ape-like. Make him more on the human side because he wanted him to show those emotions and and get us to relate to him.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Then Marion C. Cooper would see it and say he wants him more ferocious, wants to look more like an ape. So they had this big fight exactly how he would look. And I think Willis O'Brien kind of won with getting him to be more to have more human characteristics than just a uh, gorilla running around. Um, so they used the stop motion technique to create King Kong, which means, you know, filming a frame at a time. And it took a long time to film this stuff. 25 feet of finished film was a good day's work. And that equals around 20 seconds of the movie. Yeah. Wow. So. One day for 20 seconds. King Kong himself, he was an 18-inch model made from a metal skeleton with a mixture of rubber and foam for over the metal structure uh-huh. and then rabbit fur for his hair. Really? Um, if you watch the movie, you could tell at least two models were used. I think it was more than that, actually. But two yeah. different models were used. I know two there's, still exist today, one in the collection of Bob Burns. I think there's one in the collection of Peter Jackson.
1: Yeah, there's two main models, and yeah. the difference that tell them apart is just the length of the face, where you, right. it's more obvious between you look at Kong for most of the Skull Island scenes versus Kong in New York City, and the difference between the two of them.
2: Mm. You can really tell in stills, too. Yeah. And then, uh, I'm sure you noticed throughout the movie, King Kong's fur was moving. Mm-hmm. Why yes. was this, why was it moving?
3: Well, I would assume it's like wind and changes, but I guess it's probably from him being handled. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's from him being handled. The stop motion animators. Yeah, it's it's Willis
2: O'Brien's fingerprints and everyone. And it was a mistake. They didn't want that to happen. And in fact, I think it was Marcel Delgado who maybe said he wasn't crazy about using rabbit fur because of that very issue. But someone, an executive, yeah. saw it and gave it a compliment saying, Yeah, look, even-
1: He's bristling. He's really getting worked up. Yeah, And uh-huh. it, it works, too. I mean, the hair moves around naturally. So yeah, for something sure. like that, like what inthia's saying, where you could just say maybe just the wind was hitting him a certain way, or maybe he was bristling like a cat or a dog would.
3: I mean, look at Pixar. Pixar's been working on fur technology since, you know, the, they started. We talked
2: a little earlier about the roars of the... Creatures. Uh-huh. Uh huh. King Kong, when it was not a human voice being slowed down, it was also a lion's roar and a tiger's roar that was run backwards and slowed down. The T Rex's hissing was <laughs> a puma scream and high compression air, apparently. The Brontosaurus sounds were people grunting into a double chambered gourd. Willis O'Brien, he did not like the giant head of King Kong. He thought that the expressions were very limited. As I told you before, three men were inside doing the expressions, the brow, the smile, the eyes moving. So when they did the stop motion for King Kong, you know, they used miniature sets on tables. Uh And they would create the, the foliage. And plants and all that. And sometimes they would use real plants. Sometimes (laughs) they would have a scene to animate that would take, for instance, the Pteranodon scene took uh, seven weeks. So it would be weeks. They'd be animating and they'd have hot lights. And sometimes flowers would wilt or bloom Mm -hmm. and... It would be a time-lapse for photography, so you would see it all of a sudden blooming in the corner. (laughs) And then if that happened, they would have to start over from scratch.
3: (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) So
2: that was a tough thing to deal with. To animate these creatures, they would have to drill holes in the table on the set, Mm -hmm. and they would... Kind of have pegs in their feet that would stabilize them so they wouldn't rock back and forth and you would always know where they were. There's one shot that I love in the King Kong versus T-Rex scene where they do a somersault. And if you play it frame by frame, you could see the metal pieces holding them up because obviously they can't stand in midair, you know. Mm So it's neat that you could see that technique and there's there's several still photos where you could see the floor has all these holes in it because of the different places they would be walking. They cover it up in the movie, so you don't see it. In promotional materials, do you know, Inthea, how tall they said King Kong was? Three stories. They said he was fifty feet in promotional materials. The truth of the matter is he was always between eighteen feet and twenty-five feet.
1: Kong's size is very hard to determine in the film, and I think that was something Cooper lamented about. By the time they had gotten Kong to New York, he had complained that the monster wasn't big enough. Correct. I'm not entirely sure if there is a growth in his size between Skull Mountain and when he gets to New York or not, but it's still very hard to pin down. Is yeah. he 20 feet tall, 30, 40, 50? Mm-hmm. I
2: always hear that, and I never real. I've never had a problem with his height. He always seems the same height to me. Yeah, but they say like it was an 18-inch model, and then eventually it was scaled up to a 24-inch model.
1: Yeah. That they used mm-hmm. again. These are one of those things that I don't think stops the movie in any way whatsoever, and you really you don't even think about it unless if somebody pointed yep. it out to you so nope. so yeah. forget i said this
2: you know we know that they use stop motion effects to create king kong but even up until the, I don't know, 70s, obviously before the internet, way later than the movie, there were still rumors on how they created him. There were were publications that it was a real gorilla.
1: Newspapers and magazines for even decades afterwards were reporting totally wrong stuff, saying it was a giant robot, it was a puppet, (laughs) it was a guy in a suit. Ape actor Charles Gamora, who did not play Kong, and he never claimed to play Kong, when he died, the local newspaper said, King Kong actor dies, the man who brought King Kong to life. It's like, no, he wasn't. There were no men in Kong suits for this movie.
2: But the animators, uh, before they animated the dinosaurs, they studied slow motion footage of elephants to Hmm. get the walking down. Human figures, because sometimes the humans were uh, animated, Mm. they were made of wood and they were six inches tall. Okay. And then did you know that all the characters, the dinosaurs and the humans, the birds, they all had wooden stand-ins someone carved figures of them in the same shape and they would use that as they were building a scene and setting it up because the heat from the lamps would start to affect the skins of the dinosaurs and all
1: that Mm. stop motion puppets are constantly falling apart and that's the thing is they would have because you have to make sure that the joints are perfectly tightened not tight enough to break the thing but also tight enough that it could hold its pose from shot to shot and of course the heat of the lamps Obviously, is enough to destroy most anything, and you got to make sure that the lamps stay at the same consistency because mm. if suddenly if, if there's suddenly a change in brightness, obviously that makes an effect. Yeah,
3: yeah, for sure. Well,
2: well, speaking of that, you know the actors, they would do their scenes for a few weeks, and then they would take a few months off and the animation would go and then they would come back. The animation would have to catch up to what they're filming. Yeah. uh, Because they tried it at one point to do a little bit of animation and then they do some more scenes and then they just put it on hold and then they'll go back to the animation eventually and not do it in sequential order. There were problems because, well, one, if someone walks by and it moves a fraction of an inch, you're going to see it. Besides that, even if it didn't move at all, the lights are now a month older and won't be as bright as they were a month earlier yeah. because they've been used, you yeah. know? So all these little things to think about as they're animating. Do you know the story about the pliers that were left? Go for it. <laughs> Do you know this though?
1: I think I, I think I heard that one. <laughs>
2: There's something, I don't know if this is true, but apparently one of the animators was animating a scene and there were some pliers that was left on the table that was in the shot. And he was horrified because it was days and days of work he would have to redo to get rid of it. So instead, he decided to animate the pliers sliding off the screen. And if someone saw it, he would just say it was like a little
1: snake or something. It's a crocodile.
2: (laughs) But I've never seen pliers in the movie. So let's quickly uh, do a cast rundown. So first we have Faye Ray, the star of the picture. Mm-hmm. She's uh, the first uh, real scream queen, the best scream ever done in film history. She was not blonde. She wore a wig throughout the whole movie.
3: Oh, it's a great wig. It
2: was her idea, I believe, to wear that wig. When King Kong was being described to her, Marion C. Cooper's told her that she'll have the tallest, darkest leading man in Hollywood. <laughs> and she thought she was going to be working with Cary Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Armstrong plays Carl Dedham. Again, Mm -hmm. he's based on Marion C. Cooper, mostly. You can
1: see Fay Ray and Robert Armstrong together in The Most Dangerous Game.
2: Then we have Bruce Cabot as Jack Driscoll, who is mostly influenced by the life of Ernest B. Schoedzak. Frank Riker as Captain Engelhorn. Yeah, Um,
1: he pops up in a few horror movies I'm sure you guys will go over. Uh, The Invisible Ray. I think he's in Dr. Cyclops.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a very good actor. He's probably the best actor of the bunch.
1: Yeah, according to you, one of these gas bombs he throws is enough to knock on an elephant. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the way he winds up that line and throws it.
2: <laughs> and then the last one that I want to mention in terms of, uh, for our purposes of a horror podcast, is Noble Johnson, since he also appears in The Mummy and Murders in the Room Org mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah the most dangerous game again. So there's a little story in the scene where Anne disappears and everyone's looking for her. Mm -hmm. At one point, Bruce Cabot disappeared while they were filming that and everyone wanted to know where he was. He ended up emerging from one of the rooms and he was noticeably drunk. Shodzak reprimanded him, but Bruce Cabot, instead of listening to him just broke into dance and started dancing around and mocking him. <laughs> and Shodzak was so angry he slapped him in the face. And Shodzak felt so guilty about that. And he would t- he talked about that for the rest of his life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> and of course...
3: Oh my gosh! <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh and of course we... <laughs>
1: As for Kong himself getting drunk, we would end up seeing that in another movie. But, that, but that's a story for another day in the faraway land of Japan. The
2: the actual wall that kept King Kong out, that was built uh, in Culver City at the studio. And it was 75 feet high. And it was made for a previous film. I don't remember what it was made for. But I told you that it has a connection to Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that is during the finale of Gone with the Wind, when everything is on fire, the wall is one of the things they set on fire.
3: Really? And
1: something else to add to that, that's not the only Big Kong prop that ended up being set ablaze. Was what else? The Big Kong head itself. Was it? They discover, uh, Much later after it was filmed, it was discovered somewhere on the lot. By that point, it had become infested with fleas, where I guess... Just every, all these vermin are just in just covered this Kong thing, and they had to get rid of it because obviously nobody wants a 20 foot tall. Flea City, there. So
2: <laughs>
0: they
1: just took it out, doused it with gasoline, set it on fire, and <laughs> that was the end of that. Oh, oh God.
2: Mm-hmm. And all that was used for Gone with the Wind, too. <laughs> Electric <like your>
3: Boogaloo. <laughs> Wind harder.
2: Uh, speaking of fires, you know, <laughs> during the ceremony at night when they were offering off Andera, uh there's so many extras of people running around with torches and a studio official was worried about the studio might burn down and he made a big announcement and says i'll give someone ten thousand dollars to burn the place down because he was joking that he wanted the insurance money for the uh studio Ooh. the first time we see king kong when he approaches and you know he goes through the trees and knocks them all down the directors didn't like the way it looked they there was something they didn't like, and they asked it to be reanimated. They ended up animating that sequence 16 times until they got Holy it right. Holy crap. And the directors ended up liking the original one best. and went with the original.
3: Jeez Louise, I'd be so <laughs> mad. I would have just sent them the exact same footage 15 times.
2: <laughs> you know, there was a deleted... Not a deleted sequence, but there was an idea that they had initially that they even did some concept art for, where instead of King Kong being on display inside of an auditorium in a theater, he would be in the middle of Yankee Stadium mm-hmm. and then really? break out of his chains and yeah. run
1: through... There is some more Byron Crabb concept art of this so shows that he was kind of chained to the ground, which... I guess makes sense, but it it wouldn't have been as memorable of a visual as that big platform.
3: Yeah, yeah. agreed.
2: Yeah, and also with the stadium would be so much bigger than him himself. Yeah, yeah it would dwarf
3: him. Agreed. Yeah.
2: The theater that they ended up using, the interiors at least, was the Shrine Auditorium here in Los Angeles. Really?
3: Uh oh. huh.
2: Uh-huh.
1: The place where Kong goes to eat lunch was Musum and Frank's, but they chopped it up for time. (laughs) They they wouldn't give him a table, so he took the whole restaurant.
2: Then he went to the Brown Derby and had a Kong salad. (laughs) 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 And then he put the Derby on and walked away. (laughs) (sighs) So they were talking about shooting down King Kong in the planes, and. Ernest B. Shodzak
1: said, "We ought to be the ones to shoot the we son, kill a the son a of a bitch ourselves." ourselves. <laughs> yeah. So
2: both the directors are in the plane as uh, oh, shooting King ben? Kong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and the the flight commander, the real flight commander of the planes that they hired for this sequence, he ended up dying only a few weeks later in a plane crash. Ooh. Uh, yeah, the film was in production for fifty five weeks. that's a long time that's a
3: long time that's Mm -hmm. over a year yeah
2: and that's not counting (gasps) pre-production
3: oh holy guacamole
2: especially
1: in the depression Mm -hmm. this this was a this would have been a huge gamble yeah yeah Yeah.
2: but it it ended up saving rko from going into bankruptcy because of how successful it was uh the movie came out a year after the live actors finished filming so by the point they filmed the movie and it came out, I think like Fay Ray had done like four movies mm. by that point. Oh wow! Mm-hmm. Uh, they had the premiere at Girlman's Chinese Theater, mm-hmm. and the King Kong head was on display—the wow. one that they burned down. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it maybe, opened. Maybe that's probably where I got all the fleas. Was just being in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It opened April 10th, 1933. It grossed $90,000 its opening weekend, and it was the biggest opening at the time. So let's see. uh, We talked about the deleted scenes that were cut Mm -hmm. from the 1938 version that were later put back in. Those scenes were Kong eating the natives, the squashing natives with the foot, the brontosaurus eating the men, King Kong in New York eating a man. Uh, when he pulls the woman out of the room and drops her, and the scene with Anne's clothes coming off. When the film was re-released in 1952, see, I didn't didn't know this, actually. When they re-released the film in 1952, they added some close-ups of the Empire State Building including the scene of the airplane falling off the side that wasn't in the original version oh
1: really Hmm. well the 1952 re-release is also what we were talking about in our Godzilla podcast as being one of the main things that kicked off Godzilla Mm which was that and *Beast from 20,000 Fathoms which I'm sure the two of them did very well together yeah and the
2: 1952 release was huge it was like the movie had never been seen before and people went out in droves in fact Time Magazine named it the movie of the year Oh, and it wow. was a re-release.
3: Wow. Yeah. People like monsters.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But in 1956, there was the television premiere, and it played every night for a week. In fact, it played 17 times over that week. And wow. as time went on, the ratings got higher and higher. It's crazy. People yeah. loved King Kong. The same year, 1933, Son of Kong came out. Really? Uh, yeah. Which is a sequel to the movie starring Robert Armstrong mm-hmm. and... It basically starts with all of New York is suing Carl Denham <laughs> yeah. for all the damage. Yeah, so there was a sequel, and then they always kind of lump Mighty Joe Young into a an, sort of King an, an Kong unofficial,
1: sequel. an unofficial okay. trilogy. Yeah, yeah, because
2: it was uh, the same company and, and uh, Willis I, O'Brien I, with. Yeah,
1: Willis O'Brien, I might as well mention now about a Kong sequel that never came to pass. Now, Kong was obviously a big moneymaker, but the trouble with Kong is that it was very expensive to bring him back. This wasn't like, you know, Universal could keep bringing back out Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman in new films, whereas bringing Kong back would obviously be a long and expensive process, unless they switched to a guy in a suit. Obi had a, you know, like a lot of people in Hollywood, Obi's career declined and had some hardships, but he had always been under the impression that he had some ownership of kong and wanted to bring kong back and he had developed a concept called king kong versus frankenstein which would also have name changes to King Kong versus Prometheus, King Kong versus the Ginkgo, but this basically would have brought Kong back versus another giant monster, which was this sort of humanoid creature that has, like, a sort of an elephant-like skin texture because this monster is made out of the parts of animals in a very Frankenstein-like fashion. Hmm. And it would have, you know, there's you can find concept art for it online, it looks very cool, but the sad aftermath of the story is that, you know, Obi was very trusting, and he took this concept to a producer named John Beck. When Beck goes and shops around concepts for it, you know, not a lot of people were interested because of the cost of stop motion. And around that time, Beck somehow got in touch with Toho Studios. And Toho had been looking for a vehicle to bring back Godzilla for a while. They had some concepts that were just not working. The Bride of Godzilla was not working either. That's a crazy film that for another day.
0: <laughs> but
1: they Toho wasn't interested so much in the Frankenstein angle, although they would do a Frankenstein movie later. But they were interested in the King Kong angle, and that's when began the production of King Kong versus Godzilla. Now, sadly, nobody bothered to tell Willis O'Brien about this, and he was just left in the dark for the longest time. And by the time King Kong vs. Godzilla had hit theaters, I believe it came out the year that O'Brien died. Or it was just a very sad ending to his life, realizing that something he had put so much work and so much faith into was basically stolen from him by just a shifty producer so
2: (gasps) so yeah there was mighty joe young then you have uh so there was king kong versus godzilla and king kong escapes and then the 76 king kong there is a sequel to that. There was Peter Jackson King Kong. and You know, we have Kong Skull Island now, and he's going to fight Godzilla again soon. So mm-hmm. Kong is just as popular as ever. What happened to RKO Studios? It eventually went into nothing. <laughs> got sold. All the facilities were bought up by Desi Liu. Mm. And there is a great program of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz Uh, walking around the old RKO studios showing what Desilu is going to be like. Hmm. And they eventually meet up with William Frawley and uh, Vivian Vance, who play Fred and Ethel Mertz. Hmm. And they go into the prop house, and there's something standing right there on a little table. And Fred picks it up and says, or (laughs) William Frawley picks it up and says, Do you recognize this little fella? No, who is it? One of your relatives? (laughs) This happens to be the star of one of the most
3: famous pictures ever made, King Kong. That's right. This is the original King Kong.
2: He uh, shows of the King Kong model. Hmm. Funny thing, it was actually by the Joe Young.
1: Oh. oh. Be- every, <laughs> I'm sure everybody on the internet was just all over that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Faye Ray, you know, she lived to uh, the year 2004 and she was always people always asked her if she felt like it was a bad thing she did King Kong because that's the only thing people ever associated with her and she was so proud of being in King Kong and wanted to always live up to its legacy and always did every King Kong thing there was to do and she just loved it in fact when she died in the emergency room King Kong was playing on TV Mm. and with that That's the story of King Kong.
1: I'd like to part with a quote from Marion C. Cooper where... We were talking earlier about what is the meaning of Kong and how people bring their own meanings about, you know, is this a film about the environment? Is this a film about race relations or world relations? And Kong wasn't didn't need any of that. And Cooper responded with a very wonderful quote that I love where he said, King Kong was never intended to be anything but the best damn adventure picture of all time, which it is, and that's all it is. <laughs> and I think... And he was absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this Kong-sized episode, because I'm sure it is long. Yeah. <laughs> we will do Son of Kong uh, one of these days. Eventually.
3: We got so yeah. many movies. Mm. But we yeah. do have
2: so many movies coming up. We have Ghostbusters coming up, and Werewolf of London, and Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. and It. and lots of good stuff so keep listening i'd like to thank aiden for joining us again
3: thank thank you you so much thank you
1: guys for having me it's Um, always an early trick or two to talk about monsters with you guys yeah thank you everyone for listening to yeah we hope you're enjoying pods and monsters it's it's been a blast
3: Yeah. Um, Where can we find you on the internet?
1: You can find me at com. I also do a very uh, monster and horror-oriented series called Scapula, which you can find at scapulacomic.com. I did a recent issue called Scapula and the Sinister Monster Doom Legion, which I talked about during the Godzilla podcast, but this is an episode that is filled with homages to... All of these classic horror movies, which have meant so much to me and have helped shape the person that I am and the artist that I am, and awesome. including homages to our friend King Kong
3: himself. So. Yes.
2: All right. So uh, where can they find us, Cynthia?
3: We can be found at podsandmonsters.com, as well as Pods and Monsters on Twitter and Facebook and on Instagram at Podcast. Anything else
2: you'd like to add before we leave?
3: We have an updated coming attractions episode list, basically. We did swap some stuff out, but we're really excited. But if you have any suggestions, please feel free to email us at podsandmonsters at gmail.com. Maybe something will get bumped up, or we'll consider something that we hadn't considered. You never know. Or you can tweet at us, or you can drop us a DM, slide into those DMs um, on Instagram. That stands for direct messaging. (laughs) Thank you, sir. Um, and also on uh, the Book of Faces. So, yeah.
2: That means Facebook. So, my name is Robert.
3: My name is Cynthia.
1: My name is Aiden Kesterly.
2: And thank you for listening to King Kong. And we hope you have a wonderful day at Skull
1: Mountain. To all of our BALAs out there
2: BALA! I forgot. BALA! It was so long ago. BALA! BALA! BALA!
3: BALA! Okay, goodbye <laughs> Good balaa Bala.
2: Good Bala.
0: <laughs> Bala.